To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. Things are really changing. There are good people here. People across North Carolina are proud of the fact that the Democratic Party chose to have a convention here. Don't lose hope no matter what they say, because things are starting to happen. But one thing about South Carolina you can always count on, we're always going to surprise you. In fact, I've always been proud to be a Democrat. We need to recognize that we have an opportunity here in Georgia to take back this state and make it blue again. I think Texas is not only going to turn blue, it's just a question of when. Now that will tell you that we have progressed. Join us as we explore the Southern Progressive Revival. John is on too, or here, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, cool. Okay, great. Okay. All right, everybody. Well, welcome to Southern Progressive Revival, episode 11 on this Sunday, November 15th. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Jonathan Matthews from Richmond, Kentucky, and I am proud to bring you all a jam-packed show. Uh, We had originally planned on having John on tonight for our Damn Yankee segment, uh, but he will be joining us for all three hours instead. So uh, let me go ahead and welcome you to the program, Mr. John. Yeah, I'm here. Um, I there, the upstairs people are moving out, so there's going to be a lot of noise. So that's I'll, all right. We don't care. That is not a yeah. problem at all. <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming. Three hours. Got to class the joint up a bit. <laughs> there you go. There you but go. of course, <laughs> nothing like that Kindle class. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. So uh, we uh, will not have a Southern Hospitality this segment, but since we have John the whole time, that should be super fun. Um, we uh, will have a Yankee perspective for all three hours. Um, but I would also like to welcome to the program our very own Ms. Producer, Janet Lee from Lake of the Ozarks area, Missouri. Welcome, Janet. Well, hello. Thank you, everybody. Our- and um, welcome this Sunday. I'm really looking forward to this show. Yes, indeedy. And last but not least, Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee, who will be debuting his brand new segment tonight called Voices of Our Black Past, Present, and Future. Welcome, Joey. Hello. Hi, everybody. All Good right. to be here. Yes, indeed. So we're going to go ahead and uh, go through a couple things before we get started. Um, The bulk of the show tonight is going to be hosted by Janet again, uh, but I will be here on standby. I will be running audio and doing everything behind the scenes, but we are getting Janet trained up, uh, even though she did a phenomenal job for the two episodes that I wasn't here. Um, So the first thing that I'd like to bring up is that a prior story that we had discussed which was the election here in Kentucky, and we sort of alluded to it. Um, There have been a number of people that have noticed that there were a lot of irregularities in the count. Um, The governorship, of course, went to Matt Bevan, who was a uh, Tea Party Republican. There was not a single poll that said that he could win this thing. Uh, There were people that were reported to have voted for a uh, Democratic congressman, but then turned around and voted for Bevan as governor. So there's something a little bit smelly 
about this election. But as a result of that, that petition has been placed on change.org, which uh, Ms. Janet Lee will post in the chat for us. It's just a little more than a thousand signatures shy of reaching its goal. And the goal of this petition is to do an actual hand count of the votes. Uh, We do have paper ballots here in the state of Kentucky, but they are all counted by computers. So there has not been a hand count of these votes as of yet, not an actual physical count. So, uh, you know, regardless of whether Bevan actually won or whether um, Conway was the victor, um, it's at least my strongly held belief that we should do our utmost to ensure that our democracy is maintained and that every vote is counted as it should be. Um, So if you would like to sign that, I would definitely appreciate it. Uh, So with the rest of the news for the evening, uh, we are going to discuss the tragedy that occurred in Paris briefly. Um, I know that my heart goes out to them. Uh, They are very, very brave to have gone through this and to come out Um, There was a rally yesterday morning where Parisians came together and stated unequivocally that they were not afraid, and that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, But for the rest on that, and for the rest of the hosting for the show, I turn over the mic to Miss Janet Lee. Well, hi, everybody. We um, have like a little change of plans tonight, so I think we're still going to just go with the way that we had it originally. And the first part of the show from up here from 7 to 7.30, the three of us, John and Joey and I, are going to discuss what's been going on at the University of Missouri. This is our gentle folks and situations. If you want to go ahead and play that jingle. Uh, There actually is not a jingle for that segment at this time, but I do have the first audio if you're ready. All right. So if you want to go ahead and play that audio, I'd be really... <laughs> not a problem. No, it's going wonderfully. Don't worry about it. I will go ahead and play that audio now. There is new fallout of the University of Missouri after a student uprising toppled both the president and the chancellor. The school has created a new high-level position to oversee diversity matters. But as our Jacob Rascone reports, Mizzou is merely one of several campuses where racial tensions are boiling over. The football team credited the second its president is back on the field. Dedication. After a day of change, many protesters vowed was only the beginning. We do have power. It started with a few individuals on our team, and, it, and look at what it had become. Amid the excitement over the resignation of the president and chancellor, protesters were seen shoving a freelance photographer. Now the journalism professor seen in the video may lose her job. On social media, the Missouri conversation is a tale of two Americas. University of Missouri, you embarrassed me this week, writes one. The demographics of the country are changing. Pretty soon this will no longer be a majority white country. That is making a lot of people very nervous, very angry. Universities around the country have been plagued with racial tension this year. Video of a University of Oklahoma fraternity singing a racist song went viral. There were protests at Duke after a student hung a noose from a tree. 
Another student in Mississippi hung a noose around a statue of the school's first black student. Hundreds protested at UCLA after students wore blackface to a party. And at Yale, protests have erupted after weeks of racial tension. The Missouri protesters say the seeds of change have been planted. So many student bodies have been reaching out to us and saying, because of you guys at the University of Missouri, we now feel empowered to ask our administration for more. Tonight, the university has made good on one of its promises by appointing that first ever diversity officer, a black law professor. This as protesters are still camped out on campus. All right. I want to take just a little minute to go through what some of which what led up to this, okay, and led up to the resignation of the chancellor, the dean, and um, some of the other things that have been going on. And then John Kendall and I and Joy toward the end are going to discuss some of the things that. Um, how it has affected the rest of the country because that's when he was coming on for um for damn yankee and rather than make this all one huge segment we're going to keep it divided like we had it before um all right in columbia they're saying that this has just happened this year that's untrue in 1950 missouri added the first black students in 1969 the students the black students of missouri gave them a list of demands because there was so much racial tension on the campus. So, and those, none of those had been put into place, okay? So from 69 to now, there has just been continuous things that have been going on, including such things as cotton balls being thrown on students as they walked by, graffiti, racial slurs, all of it, the whole ugly history of it. All right, September 12th, but leading up to the escalation of this, the resignations of all these people, September 12th, the Student Association president posted about a racial slur. His name is Peyton Head. They reviewed the president at the time, Tim Wolf, reviewed it and um, said that they were going to, you know, do some kind of a uh, conference so that people could learn how to be racially diverse and get along. Head said that he was frustrated. I've experienced racism before, macro aggressions, but this first time I've experienced in-your-face racism. October 5th, black collegians members were the target of racial slurs by men on the campus. This brought the racial climate on campus again to the attention of students and administrators. Now remember, every single one of these incidences, the administrators knew about. Then the legions of black collegians sent a letter on social media describing the group's encounter with overt racism. They were practicing a performance at a pizza place when a young man was talking on his cell phone, walked up to the group. They politely and repeatedly asked him to leave, and the man got mad. He got mad, so he started yelling racial slurs to them. That same day, the Chancellor Bowen Lofton responded with a post of his own, acknowledging and condemning the racism. There's a silence that fell over us, the president of the NAACP chapter, because they didn't 
feel like this letter was enough. Yes, they know. There's racism. October 8th, Lofgren announces mandatory online diversity training for faculty, staff, and students. Now, I don't know how many of you have taken online classes, but you don't learn. I don't think you learn as much because there is not a face-to-face -face discussion. You know, you go in there, you pop in what you know the answers are that they want, and you get off. Um, I'm not saying classes, but this kind of a thing, trainings, because I've taken many in my previous life as an administrator. Lofkin announced mandatory online diversity. This training initiative came after a number of accounts of the overt racism on campus, but it was met with skepticism. Jonathan Butler, the hero, wrote a letter to, I'm saying hero, by the way, letter to Lofgren saying the training was a step in the right direction, but it wasn't enough. All right. Now I'm going to do a little stop here. Joey, John, what do you think so far? You um personally uh -huh. um I don't you know I don't know what it's like you know for to experience um what let's see I'm I'm trying I'm trying to think like I don't have experience with racism you know mm -hmm. as much as um somebody like. I mean, like Joey, I'm pretty sure, you know, not to <clears throat> not to sound like a dick, but you're uh, probably more experienced of course. with this than I yeah. am. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'll deflect to Joey so okay. he can give his Okay, that makes on. yeah. Well, and uh, I want to just say one thing. I've dealt with sexism most of my life, but that's still not the same thing. And so I understand exactly what you're saying, um, John. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a whole experience, a whole lot worse, you know. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, uh, it's, it's like uh, I'm, I'm kind of tongue-tied with this right now. Just give All me right. a moment. Just give me a Are, moment. Uh, what do you think? What would you think, though? Um, you know, yes. I guess the thing I'm asking you is, too, is... You just Do can't. you think it was enough? Do you... I mean... No, I, no. It's, it's like, you know, you you just can't... You, you know, you got to be face-to-face -face with this person. You know, you got to talk to this person. You got to interact with this person because, you know, stuff like, you know, what this this class thing, it, you know, it's it's got to be more than that. It's you know it's it's kind of you know I got so many words to say about it. I just I just got it running through my head right now. But you you know you, you just got to interact with the people you know because like you like you know like John said you know he doesn't know but you know I'm the type of person that does know because I experienced racism even though I am a light skinned black. I still you know I'm still considered as a black man even though my father's half white. I'm still you know considered as a black man. So, you know, that's what's on my birth certificate, you know, everything, you know, and that's what's on every application when I was working, every application I put on, African-American or black, you know. So it, it, it's kind of hard. It, it's it's not just a class or just stuff come up on the phone. It, it's, it's not enough. 
it's not yeah. enough. Well, and you the know, thing, you know, especially, you know, especially if you're going to interact with a person, a black person from the South that experienced I, it, you know, you know, you know, I'm not trying to down where I'm at, but you know, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's rough. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was rough. It was rough for my parents, my grandparents and parents before them. Exactly. And the thing is, these students have been dealing with this since 1969. 1969. They had letters of demands that were sent in then that were ignored. And they're pretty close to what these students asked for. And this is important because you're going to hear audio toward the end. um, And then, you know, some of the other stuff that were going on. Now, October 10th, uh, members of concerned students, they did a protest uh, that the MU homecoming parade blocking the car carrying President Tim Wolf because he had refused to meet with them all this time. They sent emails, tweets, we've messaged, but they got no response. So during the homecoming parade, um, and of course there's people that were upset about that, that it was during homecoming parade, they blocked the street. Wolf's car they and his car for about 15 minutes, chanting and making speeches. They were dispersed by the students, but also there's a video, and I did post it on my um, Facebook page, that they say some students were clipped. Well, one of the person that was taking Wolf's car clips a student, okay? They said there was more than one that got clipped. I could see where the photographer might have been, but... At one point, the camera is looking at the car as it's moving and trying to get these students to move. By this time, there were a few white students that were starting to come in. So I think that the wolf decided that he better get out of there while there was still room. But they had blocked clear across the street. And they had him, like there was a bunch of white people on either side that were wanting the parade to go on. And everybody on the left were supporting the black students. So they didn't, how, how wonderful of them. They didn't, nobody got arrested that day, but then I guess if your car clips a couple of students, maybe they call it good. I don't know how that goes. But um, then this one woman that was there said, I joined in the line because white silence is compliance. Like what they were yelling in the student center. I felt I just couldn't sit by and watch. It's not my fight, but I support it, said Brianne, whatever. Number one, there's a couple of things that I think we need to unpack. you darn right silence is compliance. Absolutely. But number two, it is her fight. Right, Joey? Yes, it is. Because she has to be there and, and you know, and y'all got to fight together. You know, uh, it's... Uh, Let's see. This is overwhelming, man. You know, but I, but you know what? I, I really do give kudos to the students and football players and everybody. You know, oh, I give absolutely. kudos to them because, because you know, like in the nineteen fifties and the sixties, civil rights movement. You know, it was it was mostly young people started yeah. started the civil rights movement. Young exactly. people their age, but you know, absolutely. you had your, you had your assholes out there assaulting them and everything, and but they still had their dignity. They, it wasn't no violence or anything. 
And after the world saw that, they was like, well, you know, them people's not doing nothing. Why they assaulted them? Why they sticking dogs on that? Why, why they putting hose pipes on them? You know, why they putting them in jail? Yeah, and this so this right here is going to change some, some things too. But you know, you got some, you got some, you know, you got your bad side too, and and you know, and you got some blacks that'll be against these students too. Right there, there is too. We're getting to that. Poor John, I sent him a whole bunch of links because we're going to go across <laughs> the country. <laughs> no, it's chill. Like you know, I I did some light reading of it and everything, but. Um, we're, we're 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 getting we're getting up to the part that oh, <laughs> yeah. and, and people people fail to realize that we all gotta live in this country together. Thank and why you. we gotta divide it. Exactly. You know, we're tearing ourselves apart this way. Mm-hmm. And so they listed ten demands and they, and I think that also pissed off the white elite of the yes. camp. Because yeah. they called them demands. But of those eight, they were racial awareness, including training for all faculty, staff, and students, increase in the percentage of black faculty and staff. Well, mm-hmm. duh. If you're 10% of the population, you, there's no reason why you only have 1% minority staff. <laughs> right? That's right. And... Um, an increase in funding to hire mental health professionals to the MU Counseling Center, particularly those of color, and more staff for social justice centers on campus. They also wanted the um, Planned Parenthood Center to be reopened because this wolf, uh, who's a right-winger, decided that in light of all the things going on, he just couldn't, he took away the admitting privileges of the doctors. So that meant all the poor students on campus, and obviously there goes um, the black students' access to health. He decided to shut it down, and they hadn't done anything wrong. And you know what tripped me out about this thing with this Planned Parenthood? They just think, well, you know, well, these some of these damn politicians want people to think all they do is abortions. And that's not Jesus true. Christ, man. Come on. You know, it's pe- poor people out there with no health insurance and need help, help with their health. Exactly. And they also asked for, um, they wanted the, the, the PhD students that take over the classes. I can't think of what you call them right now. Um, they took away all their benefits, their health benefits. They lowered their salaries. Wow. And um, took away interns funding. So, I mean, it was a whole bunch of stuff this jerk did. And so that's where this had all headed. Well, then October 24th, a swastika using human feces is drawn on a bathroom wall at MU's Gateway Hall. The vandalism was reported and was described as an act of hate. It was reported immediately to the police and an investigation in, was initiated, but no one's been apprehended to date. Now, tell me I'm wrong, but if you have a student population, you have people on, um, and you've got a campus doctor and all that kind of stuff, doesn't feces contain DNA? Yep. Yeah. And yet they can't find anybody? They, You know, it's the Keystone Cops? They said they had nowhere to look. Nowhere to look. 
Try DNA jerk. <laughs> exactly. Take the stool off the wall. Just a just a small sample on a darn Q-tip would do. Yeah, you ain't got to. It ain't like you got to put your hands in it and wipe it all over y'all. You know your shirt yeah. or anything. A small Q-tip, just 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 a little bit would do that's, it. That's right. So concerned citizens, nineteen fifty, because they were that first group that came in, met with him, but no issues were resolved. They said Wolf did not agree to any demands they sent to him the previous week. He said he cared for black students, but was not completely aware that there was any systematic racism, sexism, or patriarchy on campus. Hmm. <laughs> now, I went to Lincoln University, which is one of the first, uh, it was the first black college in the United States to admit white students. I never, ever had a lick of trouble there, ever. Everybody was really nice. You're not was, because we this thing about, you know, what I'm saying some like a whole lot of even black organizations like uh, say, for instance, I'm just going to use this as an uh, example. Uh, like, say, for instance, like the motorcycle club, uh, the Hells Angels. Right. Uh-huh. You know, they well known. Right. But they don't allow blacks in their organization. But on the other hand, the motorcycle club, the Rough Riders. They well-known and worldwide. They admit anybody. They don't care what color you are, as long as you're a good person, as long as you buy by the rules, you know, and everything. And and some or a whole lot of organizations are like that, but, I, you know, I, I'm like, you know, so most, most white organizations won't accept no other ethnic group, but a whole lot of black organizations will. Yeah. Because we, we open our arms up to everybody, you know. It's in, it's in our blood. Well, and the thing is, I didn't go to MU. I could have. It wouldn't have been um, that much further. But, number one, uh, Lincoln had a great special education department and a reputation. And number two, I'd heard of the sexism on campus at MU. So uh, I'm not going to put myself through that. Um, and so then on November 2nd, Jonathan Butler says he's going to go on a hunger strike until Wolf's removed. Butler said his decision was made a few days after the student protesters interrupted the homecoming parade in October. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much that clipping the students that, you know, that was that was at the point where things are yeah. done. Oh, Snork says, <laughs> Snork says, more than half the DNA in the body is from the non-human organisms in the intestines. So feces <laughs> is tougher, urine's easy. And then Tom <laughs> Schaefer says... Glad I finished dinner a while ago. (laughs) (laughs) Shape's a trip, man. (laughs) I hate you, Shape. (laughs) So he started preparing for his his strike. He went and met with a doctor. And um, he started reducing food intake and researched on how his body would react. He updated his will and spoke to a physician. And then... um, he said his demand is he wanted Wolf out and he was going to continue his daily strike and not intending, uh, attending classes. During the strike, he's not going to consume food or nutritional substances um, at, the expense, at the expense of my health until either Wolf is removed from office or, or my internal organs fail and my life is lost. Then, 19 student, concerned student, 1950, again met. 
but obviously um, they didn't want to say they didn't want to talk too much because by at that time it was only one day so we move on they had a forum on the graduate rights and uh, Butler who is a friend of the graduate workers and part of the forum we want him to be healthy and to live a long healthy life and so he responded saying racism is unacceptable and he wanted to combat it on campus and his actions are going to support his his words so the November 3rd the concerned students 1950 decided to boycott MU services it was announced on Wednesday and began on Thursday then they started using a hashtag boycott UM we're boycotting spending money at the student center we're boycotting football games anything that brings the university extra money until everything is resolved if you can't listen to our voices you can't have our dollars November 5th concerned citizen or concerned student 1950 holds demonstrations on campus 200 members participated they were uh, urged to identify themselves only as concerned student they asked for a meeting with wolf um, then on Peyton Head posted on Twitter a side slideshow of the images of the racist comments he said that were made by the students and Chancellor Lockin responded sad to see hate speech hiding behind anonymity racism bias discrimination have no place here November 5th <clears throat> students reschedule a football game protest for Monday citing security reasons <clears throat> a hundred protesters gather at the basement of the MU Student Center but decided the circumstances mixing with drunk white people after a tiger's loss would lead to an unsafe protest. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> wow. Wolf issues an apology for his actions and inaction during the homecoming. He was concerned about Butler's health, he says. So then... No, he, he says, wasn't. <laughs> he was concerned about that money. <laughs> well, see, at that point, he hadn't gotten there yet. Mm. But he says he regrets his action at the homecoming parade when the Concerned Citizen 1950 group uh, approached my car. I'm sorry, and my apology is long overdue. Yeah, like a month later. Um, <laughs> it makes it seem like I don't care. That wasn't my intention. I was caught off guard. Nonetheless, had I gotten out of the car to acknowledge the students and talk with them, Perhaps we wouldn't be where we are today. I'm asking us to move forward in addressing the racism that exists at our university, and it does exist, first time he's admitted it. Together in this raise to the challenge of combating racism and intolerance. All right, then you have protesters confront Wolf in Kansas City on the 6th. Um, and then again, concerned student, 1950, from MU and Kansas meet with Wolf. Tim Wolf, what do you think systematic oppression is? He says, systematic oppression is because you don't believe that you have an equal opportunity for success. The crowd of students react negatively and the chatter's inaudible. Did you just blame us for systematic oppression, Tim Wolf? Did you just blame black students? And then the video gets cut off. November 7th, they hold another um, demonstration. They do a mock tour of the campus. And the protesters marched through dining halls and campus hubs on Meet Mizzou Day, <laughs> their large, <laughs> largest recruiting event at MU. 
The MU tour team was warned about the possibilities in the wake of the video. Then, the big one. And the black MU student players plan to boycott. We will no longer participate in any football-related activities until he's gone. And um, the players announced that in a tweet. 60 of the 124 players of the team were black. But it was unclear as of Saturday night how many of the players agreed to participate in the boycott. So, oops, we are at break time. <laughs> I guess we're at up to November 8th. I either need to chat or faster or whatever. But um, Jonathan, do you want to take us to a break? Absolutely. Uh, we will go ahead and take a short break and get right back here with you on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And we know Democrats support the working men and women of this country, so we understand hard work. So let's talk a little bit about ideas and how we reclaim ideas that we know win in red states. Southern Progressive Revival at Indy Media Weekly Radio.
Hi, this is Kenny Pick from Turn Up the Night, and you're listening to Indie Media Weekly. Don't change that dial. If you do, I'll know. Like a sneaky ninja, I will know. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We have been the instrument of change in the past. We know what needs to be done. We know how to do it. We know that we can impact policies which affect education, human rights, civil rights, economic and social opportunity. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to Southern Progressive Revival on this Sunday, November 15th. I am your host, Jonathan Matthews, uh, and of course, we are having our active host tonight, uh, Ms. Janet Lee, who is normally our very own Ms. producer and remains in that capacity. Uh, so, before we get back into things, I would like to welcome back Mr. John Kendall. Once again, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us for all three hours. No problems, buddy. Thank you. And uh, Ms. Janet Lee, of course, our host de facto for the evening. Welcome back, ma'am. Well, thank you. Thank you, Th- everyone, for coming. Yes, thank you. And, and uh, I'm sorry if you ate earlier. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad your stomach settled, Tom. Yes, indeed. And I, I played that song in your honor, Tom, so hopefully that helps take away a little bit of the pain. Um <laughs> And, uh, of course, uh, last but not least, and uh, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to premiere his segment on the show tonight, Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Well, thank you, John, and hello, everybody. Yes, hello, everybody. So, without any further ado, it is time to premiere it, sir. So, I am going to go ahead and run your jingle. Voices of our black past, present, and future with Joey Word. We have come here from the dusty plantations of the deep south. There have been many of our people across the country from all walks of life who have taken it upon themselves to try and pull their ideas. It was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. I've had a number of threatening calls, people calling me saying they were going to kill me. My mother explained racism and segregation to me. And what she said, and I'll never forget this, she said, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This might be the way they are now, but they are not supposed to be this way. All right. So, Mr. Joey, this is your very first time doing this. Um, I, I promise I'll stay hosting duties here again in a minute. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I know that you have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce your uh, segment to the listeners and then get right to it. Okay. Uh, my segment is about uh, about uh, black people who's not really have been recognized in the history books or anything or American history. And I want to bring them to light and I want people to learn about them and look them up and do what you got to do, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I, I learned about the black history and this fascinating stuff, what, what my people done over the years in this country. So, and further ado, I would like to introduce two, two ladies I found fond of, I'm fond of in the history books. One of them's named Claudette Coven and the other one's named Fannie Lou Hamer. Okay, uh, Claudette Coven, I'm going to go with her first. 
Uh, Claudia Coble was born on uh, September the 5th, 1939 in Montgomery, Alabama. Months before Rosa Parks, Coven stood up against segregation in Alabama in 1955 when she was only 15 years old. She, she served as a plaintiff in the landmark case of Brown versus Gale, which helped end the practice of segregation in Montgomery bus passes. Growing up in the Montgomery's poorer neighborhoods, Coven studied uh, hard at school. She earned most, mostly as classes and even aspired to become president one day. On March 2nd, 1955, Coven was riding home on a city bus after school uh, when a bus driver told her to get up, uh, get up out of her seat uh, to a white, white passenger. She refused, saying, it's my constitutional right to sit here as much as that lady. I paid my fare. It's, it's my constitutional right. Coven felt <clears throat> com- compelled to stand her ground. I felt like uh, uh, so, uh, felt the truth was pushing down <clears throat> on one shoulder and, and Harriet Tubman was pushing down on the other saying, sit down, girl. I was glued to my seat. Okay. Coven was arrested on several charges, including viol- uh, violating the city's segregation laws. For several hours, she sat in jail, completely terrified. I was really afraid because you just don't know what white people might do at that time. After the minister paid her bail, she went home where she she and her family stayed up all night out of concern for possible re- retaliation. National Association for the Advancement of Colored People briefly considered using Coburn's case to challenge the segregation laws but they decided against it because of her age. She also became pregnant around, around the time of her arrest, and they thought an unwed mother would attract too much negative attention in public legal battle. Her son, Raymond, was born in December 1955. In court, opposed the segregation law by declaring herself not guilty. The court, however, ruled against her and put her on probation. Despite the light, the light silence, Coven uh, could not escape the court of public opinion. The once quiet student was branded and a troublemaker by some, and she had dropped out of college. Her reputation uh, also made it possible for her to find a job. Okay, uh, uh, let me see. Uh, <clears throat> despite her uh, personal charges. Uh, Coven became one of the four plaintiffs in the, the Browder versus Gale case, along with Ariella S. Browder and Susie McDonald and uh, Mary Louise Smith. Janetta Rose, who was initially named a plaintiff in the case, withdrew early to do outside pressure. The decision in the 1956 case, which had been filed by Fred Gray and Charles D. Langford on behalf of a four-minute uh, African-American women ruled at, at that Montgomery segregated bus system was unconstitutional. Two years later, uh, Coven moved to New York City where she had her second son, Randy, and worked as a nurse side aide as a Manhattan nurse home. She retired in 2004. Okay, her legacy, 
Much of the writing on civil rights history in Montgomery has focused on the arrest of Rosa Parks, another woman who refused to give up her seat on the bus nine months after Coven, while Parks has been heralded as a civil rights heroine. The story of Claudette Coven was received, was received little notice. Some have tried to change that. Rita Dove penned the poem, Claudette Coven Goes to Work, which later became a song. Philip Holst, who's also wrote about her in the young adult biography of Claudette Coven, Twice Toward Justice. While in her role in the fight to end segregation in Montgomery may not be widely recognized, Coven helped advance civil rights efforts in the city. Claudette gave us all a more courage if she had not done done what she did. I am not sure that we would have been able to mount the, the support for Mrs. Parks for former attorney uh, Fred Gray told. Well, and another thing, too, that I think is pretty fascinating, she said she just kept saying the Lord's Prayer over and over that night, and it just makes you sick. You just want to throw up. Yeah, yeah. And I remember them talking about how that Rosa Parks was the one that they decided to pin it on or whatever. <clears throat> or not to pin it on, but to use her to start this boycott mm-hmm. because they felt Claudette was too young. Hi, Sister Joe. So um, that she, when she went to the Bronx, too, I guess she was pretty quiet about it. She didn't talk about it a lot. Yeah. And so that was part of it. But I didn't really understand why. I guess she. I don't don't want to take anything from Rosa Parks. You know, God bless her. Right. But, you know, she wasn't the one to start that movement. Yeah, did you ever read why it was that she didn't talk about it in New York City? They just said that there was a lot of stuff going on with Malcolm X and everybody was already talking about integration. Or did uh, she just not or did she just wanna um I kept I guess she just kept quiet mostly about it. But yeah. I don't know. I, I I need to read more of it, but you know her story did fascinate me and what I found was, you know, <laughs> pretty cool you know this small segment i just want people you know to write her name down claudette coven and look her up and read more about her absolutely all right and now we're going on to samuel uh no he's next week uh i'm going with fanny lou Hamer. oh fanny oh fanny yeah fanny yeah uh the civil rights activist fanny lou Hamer was born Fannie Lou Townsend on October 6, 1917. You know, if anyone don't know, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer came up with that that infamous phrase, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Okay, and she was born uh, October 6, 1917 in Montgomery County, Mississippi. She was the youngest of 20 children. Her parents were sharecroppers in Mississippi Delta area. Hamer began, uh, began, began working the fields when she was only six years old, around 12, around the age of 12, Hamer dropped out of school in order to work full time and help out her family. She continued to be a sharecropper a- after her 1944 marriage with, uh, to uh, Perry Pap Hamer. The couple worked on a cotton plantation near Ruleville, Mississippi. 
They were unable to uh, to have children after Hamer had a had a surgery to remove a tumor during the operation. Her surgeon gave Hamer a hysterectomy without her consent. Uh, go figure. <laughs> In the oh, summer of 19... <laughs> you know how that goes. In the summer of 1962, Hamer made a life-changing decision to attend a, a protest meeting. She met civil rights activists uh, there who were, who were there to encourage African-Americans to register to vote. Hamer was one of a small group of African-Americans in her area who decided to register themselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. On August the 31st in 1962, she traveled with 17 others to the county courthouse in Indianola to accomplish this goal. They encountered uh, op- opposition from local and state law enforcement along the way. Such bravery bravery came at a high price for Hamer. She was fired from her job and driven from the plantation she had called home for nearly two decades just for arresting the vote. But these actions only solidified Hamer's resolve to help other African Americans to get the right to vote, according to the New York Times. According to the New York Times, she said, they kicked me off the plantation. They set me free. It's the best thing that could happen. Now I can work for my people. Hamer uh, dedicated her life to the fight for civil rights, working for a student nonviolent coordinating committee. This organization was uh, uh, comprised mostly of African-American students who engaged in acts of civil disobedience, to fight racial segregation and injustice in the South. These acts often were met with violent responses by angry whites. During the course of her activist career, Hamer was threatened, arrested, beaten, and even shot at. She was severely injured in 1963 in Winona, Mississippi jail. She had two other activists were taken by the police after attending a training workshop. Hammer was beaten so badly that she suffered permanent kidney damage. In 1964, Hamer helped found the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, which was established in, in opposition to, the, to her state's all-white delegation that year's Democratic Convention. She brought the civil rights struggle in Mississippi to attention to the entire nation during televised session at the convention. The following year, Hamer ran for Congress in Mississippi, but it was unsuccessful in her bid. Along with the po- uh, political activism, ha- Hamer worked to help the poor and families in need in her Mississippi community. She also set up organizations to increase business, business opportunities for minorities and to provide child care and family services. She helped establish the National Women's Political Caucus in 1971. Okay, this is on a death. In 1976, Hamer was diagnosed with breast cancer. She, con- she continued to fight for civil rights despite her illness. Hamer died on, ni- on March 4, 1977 in a hospital in Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Hundreds crowded into the Ruleville Church to say goodbye to this to this tireless champion for racial equality. And uh, Andrew Young Jr., then a U.S. delegate to the United Nations, gave a eulogy at Hamer's funeral. 
he he explained none of us would be would be where we are today had she not been here then according to new york times young said that the the progress of the civil rights movement had been made through the sweat and the blood of our activists like hamer on the tombstone is written on the on her front most famous i'm sick and tired of being sick and tired so i want to add to this right here that goes to show we love this country too this is my country this is your country this is our country let's come together and make it a better country i know we all don't agree but we can agree to disagree with love and respect, not hate and disrespect. From the Swahili language, the words I'm, I say, apendo na amani. That means love and peace, everyone. Ah, uh, and I am just so touched. Like Sister Joe said, she was one badass woman. And I also, can I add one saying of hers? Sure. Uh, she also said she was the one that got up and there were in front of the convention that you were talking about mm-hmm. and said, uh, my sister also says, yes, go Joey. She got up in front of that convention and she said, uh, "You, some of you are saying you don't want to get into the mix, but if you were born black in this country, you were born into the mix. Yes. Yes, she and, was. Uh, uh, she was. <laughs> she, but, she was 100% right about that. Yeah. But as you just said, it doesn't matter what your color is. We're all in this mix. Yes. Because when one, someone's just, you know, injustice to one is injustice to all. And um, it's, uh, I don't know what the saying is from, but if they come from, you know, they keep coming for people and there's no one left. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're going to end up being. Right, John? Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, you know, one of the biggest complaints now, you know, that I have with the way the country is being, it's basically being used because, I mean, you know, to me, government, you know, or respect between people should be a hand-in-hand thing, not a hand-in-fist. Exactly. Exactly. And I really, honestly, and I don't know, I may have blinders on, but there's more people that want the good things for the country than this 25% that's trying to tear us all down. And like Joey said, we're all in this together, and we have to fight this together, and we have to hold hands and keep on keeping on. And I love this segment. This is so amazing, and I'm so glad you thought of this, Joey. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to bring a little light. Yeah, I'm a, it's more to come, everyone. Just keep tuning in. <laughs> every more week, to come. You're gonna, are you going to do one person or two every week? Uh, I'm doing one end? person. Let me see. I'll probably, uh, I'll probably do uh, uh, one person like t- tomorrow. I next mean, not week? tomorrow. What I'm thinking about next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so off into this. I think we're doing a show tomorrow. <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> no, I have no show prep. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 I tell you what I would do. I would let you know before the week's up if, if I can do two more people. You know, two people. I'll probably do two people every segment. I'll probably, I like that. Yeah, that that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, 15 minutes. And if people have 
uh, questions, we can stop and talk about that person longer and then just add yeah. the second person to the following week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I've seen a yeah in there. <laughs> it's a really, it's a good segment, Joey. Uh, thank you, thank you. So, um, are we too early for break, or we are not? We can go ahead and run here to an early break and get in a couple extra commercials. Uh, Joey, thank you so much. That was phenomenal. You did well beyond my expectations for your first time. It truly shows that you were a natural on the radio. Uh, Thank you, brother. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. Thank you. Uh, So let's go ahead and get to our break so that we can get back to what would normally be our damn Yankee segment. But we will be, uh, or Janet, rather, will be probing John's brain. So that should be fun. All right. So so on this break, we'll be listening to the Hightower Lowdown. We will be right back here with you on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And knowing the world as I do, I can tell you without any equivocation that the number one abuse of human rights on earth is strangely not addressed quite often is the abuse of women and girls. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Hear about a corporate retail giant that's turning out the lights on Black Friday today on Hightower Radio. Imagine if retailers held a nationwide super spectacular sales day and no one came. I don't mean customers, but that sales staff, cashiers, and even managers wouldn't show up to open the doors for the usual salemania frenzy of mass, crass, crazy consumerism. But that's silly, of course, even slightly un-American to think that stores wouldn't open to cash in on a hugely promoted retail bonanza. Yet there it is, REI. The national purveyor of outdoor gear and sporting goods says it will no longer participate in the shopping spectacle called Black Friday, the day of nonstop doorbuster sales that now overwhelms Thanksgiving. This holiday is meant to be a calm, family-oriented time to get away from all the hubbub of life and reflect on our blessings. But in recent years, such national chains as Macy's and Walmart have led a corporate assault on Thanksgiving with a bye-bye-bye blitz of consumer come-ons. Rush to the mall, shout the barrage of Black Friday ads, enticing us to reduce our values to the shallow concept of monetary value, i.e. lower-priced stuff. They've turned this contemplated day of thanks into a weekend of worshiping mammon. Enough, says REI. The retail co-op with 143 stores and $2.2 billion a year in sales is raising the ethical bar by canceling its participation in Black Friday. Instead of shopping on the Thursday and Friday of Thanksgiving weekend, REI is urging its employees and customers to break out, literally. Take a walk with family and friends, enjoy a bike ride, visit a public park, and otherwise get outside the soul-suffocating syndrome of constant consumerism. This is Jim Hightower saying, what a concept. Don't shop, live. Connect with people, nature, the spirits, and yourself. For more information, go to optoutside.rei.com. Hightower's commentaries are brought to you by the Hightower Lowdown the monthly newsletter with Hightower's populist take on what the powers that be are up to. Find out more at HightowerLowdown.org. 
everybody, Kim Williams here, proprietor of IndieMediaWeekly.com and Indie Media Weekly Radio. We invite you to check out Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice, a Facebook community that many of us are a part of here at Indie Media Weekly. Many of our contributors and listeners are as well. So if you're a fan of Facebook, you should check out Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice and join us. We are ready to fight, and we hope you are too. And we hope to see you there. Just search for Ready to Fight for Liberals and Justice anytime you're on Facebook. Every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, Indie Media Weekly presents the Sci-Fi Double Feature with two old-time radio shows from the science fiction and horror genre. The Sci-Fi Double Feature every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. Hi, this is Kenny Pick from Turn Up the Night, and you're listening to Indie Media Weekly. Bookmark IndieMediaWeekly.com, and be sure to check out our schedule of fine live programming, as well as podcasts and music shows. And please make Indie Media Weekly one of your favorites on TuneIn. Indie Media Weekly, for those who dare. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We're the people you see every day in the grocery stores. We obey the laws, we pay our taxes, we fly our flags on holidays, and we plot along trying to make it better for ourselves and our children. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to Hour 2 of Southern Progressive Revival with your phenomenal guest host, Janet Lee. Take it away, ma'am. All right. Well, I just want to finish up. I don't have much left to go on this first section of MU. Um, and so I do. I did want to kind of finish this because I'm just really, really proud of the students there. Uh, the day after the football coaches and um, the students uh, said the MU family, the football players that showed him and 100 players and coaches, black and white, at the team's training complex, the Mizzou family stands as one. We're united. We are behind our players. So Sunday morning, guess who made a statement? He said, Wolf said, that all he hoped everybody could get together and that, um, that he was dedicated to dialogue. I mean, seriously? Now we're going to start talking. Now a warning. I mean, and they've been trying to talk to him forever as, you know, we went through the dates here. But the Forum on Graduate Rights Steering Committee announced Sunday they're going to hold a two-day walkout Monday and Tuesday. The faculty members said they're going to join right in. So 783 MU alumni signed to show their support for the Concerned Student 1950 and their call to action. One day later, guess who resigned? Wolf. He had an emergency meeting with the Board of Curators, and after that meeting, he resigned. He says his decision came from love. And Butler posted on Facebook, the hunger strike was officially over. 
that Bowen Lofgren said he would leave his job too. And remember, he's the chancellor. Wolf had spent three and a half years as president, Laughlin, a chancellor for almost 20 months. Foley was the senior vice chancellor of research and graduate studies, and he was named the in, um, interim chancellor, and he's going to replace Laughlin in January. Now, I do want to just finish up. I think that that's probably pretty good for that section. Um, but what he was trying to pull was he thought he was going to do a little dipsy-do, you know, um, and go ahead and, you know, stay there. Don't you think, guys, that he could just kind of keep pushing the ball back, pushing the ball back? Yeah, well, and then, you know, I found it fantastic that, you know, the football players realize that, you know, they have more power than just being football players. Yeah. And yeah, that and, power... and, a, and, a, and a whole lot of people think, you know, oh, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, take this ball and play ball. You know, it's not it's not like that. But they do have like, you know, John, you're right, they do have power. Yeah. Because, and because you know, the school would lose a lot of money. A lot of money. That. And also also they couldn't take away their letters from and them. And potential students too. Right. Um, they had a million-dollar fine to BYU if they didn't show up. Thank you for reminding me of that, Joe. And um, if they didn't show up, there was an automatic $1 million fine that they had to give to BYU. BYU had quit practicing because they didn't figure that this was going to go anywhere. Um, then they also couldn't take away their academics from them because... If they did, and they're in good academic standings, and that would admit they were an employee, well, they couldn't do that because no college is going to admit their players are, um, you know, employees. Mm -hmm. They also required, they wanted Wolf to sign, or to write a letter saying what he did and what he did was wrong. And so then there couldn't be, I mean, these guys were really shrewd. Because once they wrote that letter, it's in his handwriting. Yeah, we screwed up. You know? Mm. So, also, the next thing that we wanted to talk about, and I had sent to John, was audio from Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to bring me into the Limbaugh shuffle, don't you, Janet? Hey, I warned you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, or what boy. Mike Malloy liked to call him, the pig man. <laughs> the pig man, yeah. <laughs> hey, now, that's an insult to pigs everywhere. Yes, it is. <laughs> Jonathan, could we listen to Limbaugh for a second? This is what the university experience has become. Threats, tirades, demands, endless parade of victims, now agitators. So I think the universities have had their hands in creating these little monsters. As far as I'm concerned, they can live with them now. This is exactly when they stopped teaching, when they stopped teaching critical thought, when liberalism overcame every campus, when liberalism overwhelmed everything, it was the end of independent critical thought, and it was the beginning of you better toe the line or you're out. <laughs> oh, you, you uh, didn't? Hear, did you hear them, them cold words? Did you yeah. hear them cold words? I Those heard little, them. Um... Uh, no, uh, uh, agitators. 
Yeah, and he or also said monsters. Little monsters, yeah. 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 You know, yes. that them cold words. You know, he might, you know, he might well say little N words, you know. Yeah. And also, too, he's blaming it on the liberal colleges. Well, what the hell? You know, if they if um they're, the right wing has taken over curriculum at so many places and tried to privatize so much education. And they, they can't understand why people are saying no, you know? Well, yeah, and like Joe said, there's probably hippies, too, that he was wanting to blame. That was kind of implied in there. The liberal, <laughs> those that, liberals. That, that guy would blame uh, uh, liberals for cancer. <laughs> and Tom <laughs> says... Mm, critical thought is alive on campus. It's off campus where it's in short supply. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling liberals. <laughs> well, and then he sits there and makes fun of them. You know, and he, I mean, this was a really long segment, you know, yeah. and he just kept going on and on and then. Oh, they're offending me. Yeah, you know how he does in his life. He's just a rich asshole, mean-spirited asshole. That's all he is. He's, he's going to, you know, I don't care how much money he gets. That man, that man will probably die a miserable death. Oh, we can only hope. I shouldn't have said that, but. No, yeah. but you know, that's, you know, it happens to people like that. You know, die lonely and miserable. Well, and I can't understand why he's out there talking about anything. You know, I mean, I uh, thought it's for, his, it's for his fan base, you know, to make the make the stupid people, you know, feel good. That's he all. He makes his that, millions. He doesn't have that big of a base anymore. Every station that carries him is losing money. I guess that the right wing has got to make sure they've got enough hate talk on or something. Yeah. <laughs> and they got enough radio stations. I tell you that. Oh, that's more than we do. Yeah. And Way then more than we do. The rude pundit, which normally I really like, but he said the real problem there at MU was the media. And he went after them stopping um, the protesters, which I, I watched video and it was really the journalism teacher stopping the media from getting out on campus. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to think about that back and forth. I really don't because... It's their campus, their demonstrations. If they don't want to have, you know, how do they know it's not Fox and taking everything out of context? But at the same thing, I don't know. You know, on the same hand, we talk about free speech. How do you have free speech if you're stopping the press? What do you think, John and Joey? Well, I mean, to jump in, um, this whole like, talking point of, like, oh, no, the liberals are, you know, taking over our colleges. I see it all the time on, like, the Missoula, um, the Missoula, um, news pages on Facebook. Like, you know, any story will pop up about the University of Montana, which is actively hurting right now. Um, but, you know, somebody in there will pipe in, you know, like, oh, if it wasn't for liberal education. But, you know, I was there for six years. Um, one of my, um, 
he was there at the university with me. Like, nobody in the six years I was there took me aside and tried selling liberalism to me like drugs. Like, none of my professors or, you know, anybody else I was involved with took me aside, you know, in a higher place of authority, like, hey, you know, you want to buy some of these liberal policies? I mean, it's just, you know, like I said, it's just a talking point. Um, yeah. And, you know, like, you know, you're free to say whatever you want on a college campus as long as it's not um, defamation of someone else's character. I mean, you know, you can... You can say that, you know, that rock over there is ugly, but I mean, the second that you come across and say, hey, you know, that person, I'm singling them out for, you know, X reason is, you know, problematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also, too, another thing, too, that Rude writes, and I love Rude Planet, I think he's hilarious, but he does have a point here, too. M- Melissa Click. She was that uh, on-campus professor for journalism, and she told a bunch of those the students that she was with, they were black, to stop them, to stop the, the, um, the reporters coming on. And Rude writes, what she did was fucking stupid, and that's not even getting into the plantation mentality of a white professor demanding mostly black students act violently for her. And he has a point there. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them will fall. Some people fall for stuff like that, you know. They'll fall for it and do it anyway, and get themselves messed up, you know. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Sad to say, but it happens. And like Rude says, Wolf resigned because the football team threatened to boycott a game, which would cost them a million in penalties. But it wasn't just that. There was other monies they were getting ready to lose. I mean, there was a. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this was going to cost them up to $40 million from what I've been reading and hearing. We tried um, to warn them, you know what I'm saying? They didn't abide by you exactly. know, what the students said. If, if they would have done what, you know, what the, the, the students asked, they won't be going through this right now. You know, we're not going to tolerate nothing like this on our campus. You know, they should have said that, you know, and, you know, in full foresight, you know, I think. You know, because it doesn't make any sense. This is the year 2015, and, well, we've seen our enemies pop up out of the sewer after uh, Barack Obama became president. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And Uh, I remember our sister warning me. Yeah, I mean, and it's uh, this. I am really, really proud of MU. But I also want to add, yeah, and I also wanted to say on Wolf's, about Wolf, he got on because he was friends with two of the people that do the hiring. I don't remember what they're called, board of chancellors or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, board of regents. Board of regents. Thank you. And didn't they say? I think he said that he had a job in computers technology. He never had. Didn't have any kind of education in education or doing what he did, and he was just a rich white SOB that had no no anything with the real world and I read something from somebody that went to school with him in fourth grade and has known him his whole life 
and you know he talks to him even and he said everybody that knows him went oh my god i cannot believe he had the white privilege chutzpah to even apply for that job he didn't qualify but because he knew for people new people he got on <clears throat> like they say in most circles it's not what you know is who you know yeah, apparently that's what this guy did. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyway, I uh, I don't know. What do you think, John? Think um, we got I, you know, I, I, I kind of want to play devil's advocate. I mean, okay, he doesn't. I mean, you know, to be in that position. You, I mean, there are situations where you don't have to be, you know, educated in a field. Like, we hear all the time, you know, that there are some politicians, you know, that didn't even finish college and, you know, they got, you know, the hard worker adage, you know, they worked hard to get where they are. Um, with this situation, if, he was that spoiled um, white privileged brat. Then you know I I can I can probably say that he's you know not fitted for that job. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. Okay, because you know um, I have political aspirations and I haven't finished college I mean could that be problematic problem maybe but you know that doesn't mean I'm not um I'm not um, intelligent and intelligent common sense uh -huh. yeah not I never finished I, I, fi I finished high school I never finished I never went to college yeah I just went through so, high school no, well, I mean, I'm not no experience does not exactly equal um place but mm -hmm. if it was based on you know hey this is you know this guy is one of us one of us etc right. et mm -hmm. well and I went to college but I would never make a politician I'm not good at uh, political stuff you know politics in inside politics or whatever you want to call it <laughs> so <laughs> as Jonathan knows I'm, I'm not good at that I'm not good at that <laughs> oh well so alright now the best thing about all of this is which John brought this up to my attention this is spreading across the country isn't it John you know the the student protests as far as students taking over campuses and demanding different things at different colleges right yeah um you said something to me about Yale, and I know. Yeah, it's happening. It it happened at Yale too. Um, I I don't know. I saw the video on that one, and I was, I mean, I was kind of iffy on how they treated the guy. Like, um, you know, I I understand that cultural appropriation is you know is a huge issue today, but the way. The way that they treated the guy, the guy was there, and he actually maintained a level head, like, hey, you know, like, 
we're not here to coddle you, which is, it's true. I mean, a college is there, you know, for you to break out, you know, to fall, to forge your own path. But, you know, as I said earlier, college is not the place to force an agenda or it's not the place to um, allow hate speech. Well, and I, what I think about college, it's where your mind gets open. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think mine did because I learned so much at Lincoln. Um, and not just the book stuff. Uh, and it was wonderful sitting in class and having, for the first time in my life, having classes that were diverse and hearing other people's experience. And for the first time realizing how lucky I'd been all my life, you know? Um, even being a female and putting up with racist, white, or sexist men, um, uh, <laughs> it still wasn't as bad. You know, I, I look at those the, the women in the class and I thought, not only do they deal with sexism, they also have to deal with racism. You know, so you got a twofold thing going on there. Yeah, uh, I mean, um, not to cut you off. When, no, that's you okay, know, when I came to the, when I went to the University of Montana, I grew up in a town of 300 and 350 people in a good year. Wow. So I came to a campus of 15,000 people. Um, you know, after high school, I, I fell into the, um, the Mon- the Montana, the see in Montana there's there's a lot of like Republicans. I fell into that. Um, you know we all make mistakes when we're younger, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know once I hit college, I was like, holy shit, like. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been wrong my whole like almost my adult life from yeah. 18 to 21 those 3 years that I took off after high school like I my mind was blown like I I was thinking wrong man <laughs> so you know and you know that's to- what happens to a whole I'm sorry for interrupting you but that that's that's it happens to a whole lot of people you know, come from them small towns and stuff like that because, you know, they don't know until they get out into the world and meet different types of people. Like me, you know, I, ever since I was a kid, I hung around a different ethnic group, you know, and I always wanted to learn how, you know, how how their culture is and how they lived and what they ate and what type of music they listened to and all that type of stuff. You know, I'm just a curious kid and I'm, I'm still like that today. Well, see, I graduated from a town that had 66 people in it, or 66 in my graduating class. See, I only had, like, 23 in my graduating class. Well, I had 16 originally, and then we merged my senior year, so we had 66. So that was overwhelming, coming from a school where the senior class was 16. 
yeah. and then yeah. going on to college, just like, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was completely mind blowing to me that, you know, I have one of my um, major personality flaws, and I admit this is I'm very hard headed. Like, you know, like I'm. A lot of other people may have this feeling too, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, our way is the right way, you know, we're never wrong. And that's what knocked me on my ass the mm. most. Like, like going in, I I made the mistake of personal story time that of voting for Judge, for Judge, psh, he can make a joke, <laughs> George W. Bush, because I bought into, you know, terrorists you know everywhere you know this is ruining the country and this is ruin, ruining the country that fell in with those republican ideals and then you know the when i went to college i was like well game over guys because <laughs> i was wrong <laughs> oh you know and- what man it takes a real man to admit he's wrong i'll never forget that bro Yeah, and, like, you know, it was just, like I said, it was just, it was jarring because the, um, the dorm hall that I lived in had more people than my hometown. Like, (laughs) it was, the dorm hall I lived in is 11 stories, and each of those levels has, well, the first floor that I lived on had one, two... Four rooms, but um, as you went up, there were four on each side, so eight eight rooms on a floor, and then you know two in each. So you know I was living in a place that was bigger than where I came from. So I was like, "Oh man, <laughs> that's wow. funny. That's funny." <laughs> I was gonna say too before. Whoops! Before we um. I know we're going to be running out of time. And there was two other audios I wanted to play. Um, I think that we need to go to the veteran. We didn't get to do anything. This quick clip. Do you have the veteran clip, Jonathan? Or should we just go with the dog? I do have the veteran clip. I'm ready to play it at your leisure. Go ahead and play him. At almost 110, Frank Levingston still enjoys each day as it comes. I've been through so, so many dangerous things, and I'm still here, and I want to thank the old mother God for us all, uh, all I can today. He recognizes he is possibly the oldest living World War II veteran in the country. I'm the oldest World War II veteran yesterday. Born in 1905, Frank grew up in North Louisiana. He was one of seven children. He still remembers the day he was inducted into the Army. And with many stories to tell, he's glad he is still able to share them. I've been on public jobs from the time I was 11 years old. He's always got a kind word. And he, he kind of, he let me know that sometimes it's not how you start. Is how you finish. His good friend Pamela Gober met him just before his 104th birthday. Now she spends most of her days by his side. I'm going to tell you, one time we were uh, at Memorial and a young lady asked him, Mr. Frank, how old are you going to live? He said 110. That's what he said. 
Recently, Frank received a letter from the White House congratulating him on his birthday and thanking him for his service. We trust you take enormous pride in everything you have accomplished, and he sent you a picture. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Frank says he had little formal education, but it was lessons from his parents he still holds on to and shares with those around him. And be honest. I just think that is so sweet. We didn't have a chance to honor veterans. So I want to thank everybody that's listening that's a veteran. And I know he was kind of hard to understand. But the idea that we have a man who's a veteran that's 110 years old, I Can think he imagine? deserves. Yeah, I think I'm he sorry, deserves Janet. a. Huh? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I just think he deserves an applause. <laughs> Do we have an applause? Can you, you imagine? Can you imagine what the things he saw over his years? I know I can't. You know I the nineteen nineteen World Series, the, the stock market crash of the nineteen twenties. You know, oh man, the Prohibition years. Whole, I, 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 that man saw a lot. Well, he had to have been born in what nineteen oh five. Nineteen oh five. Yeah, I mean, whoa. I just think that's amazing. <laughs> woo, woo. Oh, we have a break coming up again. Um, darn. We're just zipping it's right along fine, here. I know. <laughs> All right. Do we want to go to a break? Yes, ma'am. And time does indeed fly when you're having fun on Southern Progressive Revival. So we'll go to a break and we'll be right back here with you in just a moment. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. One of the issues I don't think we hear enough about and really can't hear enough about is preparing our students and our people, particularly those who have lost jobs, for the jobs of the future. We need to make sure that our education systems are in place. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. This is Michael S. Sharbaugh, host of the Broken Doorway Indie Music Show on Indie Media Weekly Radio. Accompanied by producer Kim Williams, proprietor of Indie Media Weekly and host of Inside Indie Media Weekly, I have the esteemed pleasure to bring you a series of interviews with some of the exciting indie artists featured on Indie Media Weekly Radio and the Broken Doorway Radio Show. 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Times, Saturdays and Wednesdays, after The Broken Doorway. And 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesdays, after Kim Williams' Inside Indie Media Weekly. This is The Spoken Doorway. Enter. Are you ready for the fastest hour in radio? Listen every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern to Paul's Memory Bank exclusively on Indie Media Weekly. DJ Paul will serve up a mix of classic rock, pop, and novelty music all tied together with a weekly theme. Be sure to sign up in the Paul's Memory Bank chat. Simply go to IndieMediaWeekly.com, select the Live tab, and scroll down to Paul's Memory Bank. Paul's Memory Bank, live every Thursday from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Indie Media Weekly. 
Don't miss Musical Mayhem with Lauren Mayer. Topical comedy songs and commentary from your friendly local humorist, songwriter, and opinionated Jewish mother. You can catch the show right here on Indie Media Weekly on Mondays and Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m., Thursdays at 8 p.m., right after the Tim Cormall Show. You can catch my weekly comedy videos on my YouTube channel, Psycho Supermom, and order CDs through most major retailers as well as my website, laurenmayer.com. So join us for Musical Mayhem, where music, politics, and comedy intersect. So new? Come walk with me, Michael Ash Sharball, through the broken doorway. 11 a.m. Saturdays and Wednesdays, and only on IndieMediaWeekly.com You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. Too busy giving tax handouts to large corporations, the Republicans haven't been working for the middle class. And as a result, many families are still struggling to make ends meet. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Welcome back to Southern Progressive Revival with your guest host tonight, Janet Lee, who will now be reintroducing her wonderful co-hosts and going on with the show. All right. Joey, thank you very much. Do you want to say hi to everybody? Hello. Hello, everyone. Good to be here. Yes. And uh, Joey's from Nashville, Tennessee, by the way. And then we have John Arthur Kendall from Montana, and he is a wonderful young man that agreed to come on at the last minute for all three hours. Yep. Yes, you are You are rocking it. You're rocking it. I try right. my hardest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I know this is really random. Um, we never really finished with the the schools were, you know, different things or wanting different things, but we kind of moved on. I would really, I know this is random, but I want to get your take on this. Would you play the dog audio, Jonathan? Story. Animal advocates posted a photo of a Dallas dog standing watch over his buddy. This happened early this morning near the Dallas National Cemetery. NBC 5's Jocelyn Lockwood is live in Dallas tonight with the story of this loyal animal's rescue. Jocelyn? Very loyal, Meredith. They don't know how long he was by his friend's side, but they think it could have been hours tonight. He is being cared for here at Dallas Animal Services, and he'll be here for at least 72 hours. He looks tired. Tired, covered in burrs, and found with fleas. The story behind this great Pyrenees is a mystery. His eyes are so sad. His sad eyes may not offer a window into his world, but photos from when he was found Sunday tell a deeper story. That picture is just heartbreaking. He was discovered near the Dallas-Fort Worth National Cemetery, faithfully standing guard over another dog. We've blurred the animal left by the side of the road. You can kind of see the blood, you know, on the road, that she was hitting the road, and it looks like he drug her up, you know, onto the grass out of the road. He was just kind of sitting like guard, like a statue, just sitting there and, you know, kind of watching over his friend's body. Someone spotted the tragic scene and used social media to reach out. He's just so calm. Animal lovers rushed to help, 
hoping happier days are ahead. I'm glad he's safe. I hope he knows that he's headed for safety. He didn't have a collar. He is not microchipped. Again, he'll be here until later this week. That will give an owner enough time to come forward. If an owner does not come forward, I'm told he'll be given to a great Pyrenees rescue organization to be adopted out. Okay, and I'm going to do the follow-up to this story. This story, I think, you know, I just think everybody, whether you're an animal, um, human or not, I personally don't have any, but this one just tugged at my heart. I looked at that video and I thought, oh my gosh. Um, because he just looked like a soldier just standing there and it happened right around Veterans Day. And he was standing and they had this little grave that they made for the second dog that died. And um, with a little fake hydrant and um, it looked like golf, you know, grass, fake grass or whatever. And um, so then I found the follow-up to the story a few days ago. And this is the part I don't really understand. or I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's not really kind of fair. The dog's name turned out to be Brian. And the dog that was dead was Marley. And Marley and Brian uh, went on their great adventure after someone forgot to shut their garage door. Now, neither one of the dogs were chipped. So, you know, fortunately, somebody put that on Facebook. Then it got onto TV, so the owners called and said, that's our dog. Or, you know, those are our dogs. They found out that they had been um, about Marley and where Brian was. So the rescue place said yes, or the whatever, yes, you can come and get him. But at first he has to be microchipped and then neutered. And I don't, I don't know, I can understand the microchipping because once the animal is gone, they're going to try to go again. Yeah. But the neutering, especially with the great peonies or Pyrenees, I don't, I don't really think that's right. Do you? Not really. You know, maybe they would, uh, well, say, uh, try to breed them or whatnot. If the owner, because the owner can do, you know, what they want to do to their dog, as long as they don't harm them, uh, you know. But uh, they, I don't think they should neuter him. Yeah, yeah, they should microchip him just in case he won't get, you know, if he get lost again, you can find him. But as far as neutering is going too, a little too far for, for me, you know, that's my opinion. I thought so too. What do you think, John? I yeah, I totally agree with Joey. Um, here in Missoula, I I know it's customary for if you adopt a cat or a dog, um, they're chipped, and that's 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 for um, you know, like location, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole neutering thing to me is kind of it's doesn't sit right with me um i know the, there may be some places i'm not too sure about here in missoula or whatnot but if like there's a stray or whatever i can see i mean you know i i don't i don't see the purpose of oh hey you know these person these people have a dog um 
who's to say that, you know, um, I bet garage doors get, you know, are mistakenly left open. And I see, you know, that happening, but I don't, I, I just can't wrap my head around neutering the pet. Yeah, I can't yeah, that's either. So, that's somebody I mean, else's pet, like you, like you said, uh, uh, John, I mean, I'm sorry, John, uh, you know, uh, I could see if it was a stray, you know, and nobody adopted and got an owner or anything, yeah. But these, these dog, this dog have an owner. And, you know, they might be, you know, might want to breed them or something. Yeah. I, you know, is there anybody in chat? Because it looks like everybody's got animals um, that thinks that it's okay for them to neuter in order to get their animal back. I, uh, you know, especially that purebred like that. I mean, that's an expensive animal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. But... But I also I can understand too if if you're going to have to chip them to make sure somebody leaves doesn't leave the dog the door open. They're saying okay if they get out again then we're not going to have any other unwanted um, animals to rescue I guess. But I just thought that was rather. I think that just went a little bit too far. I agree with John and you. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hearing I don't know Janet. You know they're kind of going. Back and forth. I don't think it's uh, Caitlin saying I don't think it's right to have the animal neutered to get it back, especially since great panniers are rare. See, that's kind of what I thought. And then my sister says, I don't know if the dog, if they let the dog run off. And uh, Snork saying that's asking to damage property that was not purposely released. Chipped, yes. And then but Tom says I'm for spray, spaying and neutering unless they are a licensed breeder. Ah, yeah, Francis, yeah, he's right much. about that too. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, he's. How right. many dogs could a great peeners fit into anyway? <laughs> Snork's coming up with them tonight. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, my sister's thinking about the burn barrel. Yeah, <laughs> she. Our dad used to, when the animals died, he'd throw them into the burn barrel. And my sister would just go and cry and then try to find something to throw into the burn barrel so she could say one last goodbye. <laughs> I'd be like, are you crazy? I buried every pet I had that, you know, passed away on me. I buried them. Buried them real deep, too, you know. Oh, it was flowers he threw in there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he looked toys and everything in there with him, and, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I give them a proper burial. I just don't leave them in the woods or nothing like that, you know, to, for yeah. some vulture or something to come pick at the carcass or anything. Yeah, but. we, you know, we um, did the same thing, you know, when we had um, pets that died when we were younger or um, like a couple years ago, we lost a Pomeranian and we have her buried down. <laughs> um, down on our land. Yeah. Yeah. Snork now says, for a great Pyrenees, lock up the horses and elephants. (laughs) 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 He gets another zinger. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, Gander at the soapbox. We're, uh, hey, we're getting pretty close to being on time. We have kind of a long um, 
Megyn Kelly rant talking to Ted Cruz, who <laughs> felt that only GA, GOP moderators should have the um, the right to interview GOP people. And this speaks for itself. I mean, truthfully, we can just sit back and go, oh, my God. But I thought it was kind of interesting. Jonathan, do you want to talk, play the audio of Megyn Kelly going after uh, Mr. Ted Cruz? What of that message, in, in particular by Governor Christie, which is essentially, man up, stop complaining, get out there and just debate? Oh, listen, Megan, I, th I think that's exactly right. You know, the three debates that, that we've done so far, I think, have been terrific. And, and from my, my attitude is that I'm happy to debate any of the candidates anytime and anywhere. And, 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 and I think that is a good thing for the Republican primary field, where, you, where we display the, the breadth and depth of the, of the field and the terrific talent we have. Are you signing on to this letter? No, no, I'm not, I'm not interested in signing on to a letter of demands. You know, the one point that I have made, and I've made it several times, is, is why is it that we have Republican primary debates that are moderated by liberal Democrats? Liberal Democrats moderate the Democratic debates, and they moderate the Republican debates. I don't think that makes any sense. And, and, and the one rule change that, that I think the RNC ought to think about is saying that if you have never in your life voted in a Republican Party primary, that you shouldn't be moderating a Republican primary. Okay, but let me challenge you on that. Do you have any idea whether yeah. Bre Brett Baer or Chris Wallace have ever voted in a Republican primary? I have no idea, and I'm guessing you may tell me whether Megyn Kelly has. So neither do I. I have no idea, but I can tell you as a fact that those are two of the most fair, talented journalists in the business. So under your rule, they could potentially be excluded from anchoring a presidential debate. Look, look, they, they could potentially. My guess is that they have voted in a Republican primary. I, I can certainly tell you that, that, that Chris Wallace and Brett Baer and Megyn Kelly are not liberals. And, and the reality is that most journalists at mainstream media stations are liberal Democrats. But how would it, it work? We, would we sense. have to submit our voting records to you or some committee? I mean, we'd have to prove what primaries we voted in or didn't. Like, how would that really be impracticality? It's not complicated. In a primary, don't have liberals moderating. Listen, I've suggested, how what about, about have a debate he was a liberal. Obviously, you know, when Russert was alive, he was one of the most respected journalists. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sit for a debate moderated by Tim Russert? Uh, Megan, why not have? And listen, I'm happy to, to, to debate in front of anybody. Right, I go this on is MSNBC. Uh, I let I I go on liberal shows all day long. But yeah. in a Republican primary debate, the object is to help primary voters decide who's the strongest conservative. Yeah. Oh my lord. <clears throat> what you think about that, Joey? What? What I think is uh, we need, what we really need is a non-biased, uh, real journalist doing these debates. Yeah. We don't need this side and that side. and Make it more fair. You know? Yeah. That's what I think. <laughs> He's, you know, they just, they just, you know, what, what, what he wants is a, uh, uh, a, a Fox News anchor, one of these right-wing uh, hate radio talk show hosts, not to ask him hard, hard and difficult questions about anything. That's all. Just them, you know, cotton candy type journalism. You know, them them guys are not journalists. They act actors and making millions of dollars doing it. And the only thing I can hear 
which they reminded me of in chat, I think Tom did, that fly, you know, that, yeah. every time I hear Ted Cruz now, I think of Jim Ward's shtick that he does when he hears his voice going, yeah, <laughs> like a fly, I don't, I don't do <laughs> imitations. Yeah. What do you think, John? I, you know, honestly, I think this is the year of the whiners because first we, <laughs> first we have Ben Carson. There's like, oh, yeah, you guys scrutinize me too much. And then, you know, just him, Ted Cruz, just sitting there, just like whining and complaining that, oh, you know, it's not fair. Well, Oh, man, life isn't fair, man. You know, you just, you take what you take what yeah. you're given. You know, if a liberal wants to moderate the debate, why not? It's not <laughs> like, no. yeah. They, the run it for, they run it for the highest person in, you know, highest politician in the freaking world. And they, you know, you're going to get scrutinized. People going to be on your side and all that type of stuff. And they're going to dig into your past as much as they can. So why oh, you sign yeah. up for this if you don't want, you know, the, the, the questions to be asked? Well, and that's a good point. You know, yes, they are going to, they're going to be all over your stuff. And they just don't want to talk about any stuff. They just want to talk about them. I mean, they got some netballs over there. <laughs> I mean, so they're all whiny, poopy, baby butts, as mm -hmm. Steph says. <laughs> go, change his, go change his pamper and give him a bottle. Yeah. Be quiet. You and your milk breath. Somebody mentioned your milk breath. <laughs> <laughs> Order him a Wham burger and get him some French fries. <laughs> 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 oh lord alright we've got uh, let's see 8.45 7.45 I'm sorry I have to take away my hour well I think we're gonna <laughs> we may have enough time what do you think Jonathan do we have enough time to do the first ship from applesauce I do believe that we do alright let's go ahead all I ask from you is a very simple answer to a very simple question are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? But I will ask that everyone please behave. He's a lunatic, I'm telling you. Can I help you with that? Y'all don't know shit from applesauce. And on with the crazy... Uh, <laughs> I, I'm so sorry I had to interject. Uh, on with this crazy audio about this deputy. Uh, I will just let oh, it speak for itself. Yeah. <laughs> Died a deputy drunk and disgraced. We now know there is more to the story of a Pinellas County deputy who showed up drunk at a statewide Mothers Against Drunk Driving conference. Investigative reporter Mark Douglas got his hands on some new records. And Mark, there is a lot more to this than what the sheriff's office first made public to us. That's right, Keith. These records show that the deputy at the center of this controversy showed up at that mad conference in Fort Lauderdale ready to party like he was on a college spring break. Back in July, Pinellas Deputy Mike Saliga showed up at the Pier 66 Hotel in Fort Lauderdale with a bottle of booze and ready to party. And party he did. Last month, Gulfport's police chief told me he bumped into Zaliga moments before a hotel banquet. 
I approached him and I said, you probably don't want to be here. This isn't appropriate. He's not kidding. Zaliga was at the hotel for two days of DUI law enforcement training, entirely paid for by Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Zaliga was supposed to receive a mad award in front of 200 people, but the chief insists he was staggering and reeked of booze. And you could tell he was drunk. Oh, yeah. As bad as that sounded last month, it just got worse. We now have records that reveal Zaliga packed a bottle of Jameson Irish whiskey into his patrol car for his Fort Lauderdale weekend. He signed in for DUI training that Friday but skipped out after the first break along with two other deputies, poured some scotch and proceeded to play cornhole in the courtyard while hundreds of other cops attended DUI training. Later that day, a Pasco DUI supervisor reported seeing Zaliga drunk in a hotel hallway during a fire alarm wearing only his boxer shorts. When the Gulfport chief raised a stink before the banquet, Zaliga's supervisor ordered him back to his room. Zaliga didn't get to pick up his award for making 100 DUI arrests. Sheriff Bob Gualteri shared his embarrassment with reporter Peter Bernard last month. It was wrong. It was just, again, one of the most ridiculous things I've heard of. And when I first heard about it, that was my reaction is, is that, come on, you got to be kidding me, really? Now, Zaliga told investigators that he was not as drunk as some of those witnesses said he was, that he was not partying in the hallway with his pants off, and that he only skipped the training because it was no longer relevant to his new role as a detective in the Crimes Against Children Division. But the bottom line here, he was drinking on duty, he skipped training, and he broke the trust of MAD, which paid for his entire trip, Keith. And what was the punishment for all of this, Mark? Well, the punishment amounts to one day suspension without pay, and I suppose you'd say a whole lot of embarrassment, which quite possibly got a little worse tonight. Yeah, one day. Wow. One day. Book That's the first for me. That's the first for me, hearing something like that. And wow. now this drunk, I mean, you, you have to be, right? I would think. Oh, to yeah. go to a mad conference, get drunk, and he's going to the Ch Crimes Against Children's Unit? I mean, seriously? And he disrespected mad like that? And that ought to get, was that organization uh, founded on, like, a bunch of mothers that yep, lost mothers loved ones drunk, from yes, drunk drivers? Mothers, yeah. yeah, mothers against drunk driving. In other words, they had a children that was killed by a drunk driver. That is unbelievable. Not to make yeah. light, but guys, it was just apple juice. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, added a little vodka to it, yeah. And that's why his eyes were glassy and his speech was splurred, because his apple juice got fermented. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as drunk as you think I am. <laughs> In cornhole, isn't that where you throw the bag through the hole? The game? Uh. I'd like to know what his score was. I'd like to know what his score was. How drunk was he? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was drinking the corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I shouldn't laugh because this is. Uh, that, that ain't funny. It's funny, but it's not funny. Right. You know. And then they yeah. wonder why people don't trust cops like they used to. Yeah, it is a bean toss. Francie says, yes, it's a bean toss. I'm not as am as you think I drunk. 
Tom says that apple juice and Southern Comfort are good. <laughs> hey, who put this alcohol in my bottle? <laughs> He's another whiny baby. But he, he only had he one. Had, to say he had 100 DUI arrests, I wonder if he yeah. took their bottles from them. I think he might and have kept- and saved them. And he said he only made two or three drinks for himself. Two or three, like, giant cup drinks? Yeah. Like a 7-Eleven that- Big Loop, or... <laughs> Either that, or, you know, he's saying the bartenders made the rest. He only made two or three for himself. I mean, I don't know. But hey, the bartender, next day- can I get a refill on this Big Gulp, please? Yeah. But the next day, he did attend those sessions... Before driving back home. They didn't say whether he was drunk or not. Just. Yeah. That's an unbelievable story. I know. It's not really funny. But it is funny. Mm. I mean it's kind of hard not to. I guess it's just so. Bizarre. Yeah. That you can't even. You know. It's like some of the other Florida stories. That we hear on Steph's show. (laughs) You know, seriously? Are you serious? Oh my God. That sounds like some Mike Malloy cover, too. <laughs> yeah, but he would cover it a lot differently. Yeah. <laughs> On that, I think we probably better go to a break. All right, we will be right back here with you shortly for the final hour of Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. And we know Democrats support the working men and women of this country, so we understand hard work. So let's talk a little bit about ideas and how we reclaim ideas that we know win in red states. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Hi, this is Kenny Pick, and be sure to listen to my music program, The Night Show. Every Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly. The Night Show. Features a broad selection of eclectic music from my personal library, as well as your requests. So be sure to visit IndieMediaWeekly.com and find the tab for The Night Show. Join the chat and submit your requests every Friday from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern on The Night Show. Only on Indie Media Weekly. IndieMediaWeekly.com for those who dare. This is Adam Hebert, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, and I hope that you will listen to my program, Mic Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Fuck yeah! Every week on Mic Check Radio, me and my co-hosts, Rob Poole and Kenny Pig, will talk about the week's news with righteous indignation, facts, and a large dose of comedy. Inconceivable! Join us as we try to answer the question of just how many Republican douchebags there are in Washington, D.C. That's over 9,000! <laughs> we'll also crown our assholes of the week during our program. You are the leading asshole in the state. Finally on our show, we'll also talk about the latest in news from video games, comic books, film, science, anime, and manga. All for your entertainment and learning pleasure. Well, that sounds really shallow and stupid. Let's try it. Don't forget, that's Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert, live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, and only here on Indie Media Weekly Radio. 
for those who dare. Oh, and Cranker demands that you listen to our program. <laughs> you are crazier than a crap fight in a monkey house. Hey, Joe, what are you doing? Repairing the GOP clown car. What's wrong with it? Well, you know your show. You mean the Tim Coromall Show right here on IndieMediaWeekly.com? Yes. Where each week a panel of guests joins us for a progressive roundtable discussion about politics, news, and other fun topics? Yes. And you know how we check out which members of the GOP climbed into the clown car each week? Yes. Well, there's been so many GOP clowns lately, they broke the springs. Oh, no, really? (laughs) Yes. But don't worry. With the GOP presidential primary season coming up, the clown car will now have new heavy-duty springs to carry the load. So not only will our show be way better than those Sunday cable shows, we'll also have our very own clown car. Right. Now, close that garage door, Tim, before the clowns get in. Join us in our panel of guests every week right here on Indie Media Weekly. Oh, and don't forget, we have clowns. Dang it, I think a few slipped through. Tune in for the Tim Coromall Show on Indie Media Weekly Radio, Mondays and Wednesdays at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, or in prime time on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly Radio at IndieMediaWeekly.com. Well, hello there. This is Kenny Pick. Thanks for listening to Indie Media Weekly. Be sure to check out my show, Turn Up the Night with Kenny Pick, live every Tuesday and Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly. For those who dare. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. If somewhere within the Bible, I were to find a passage that said 2 plus 2 equals 5, I wouldn't question what I'm reading in the Bible. I would believe it, accept it as true, and then do my best to work it out and to understand it. It just makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. Oh, my. My, my. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final hour of Southern Progressive Revival, and I turn it back over to Ms. Janet Lee, our guest host, Mr. John Kendall from Missoula, Montana, and Mr. Joey Word from Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. All right, Joey out of Nashville and John out of Missoula, Montana. Hi. Hello. Okay. Hello. Just to make sure everybody was with me. Hello. Hello. I'm, here. Hello. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, don't leave me now. <laughs> well, I'm not gone. <laughs> this uh, next one that we're going to talk about is a fundy, and I'm going to try to be very restrained. But it's going to be really hard. And I know the women in chat, well, and our feminist men, are not going to be happy with this guy. Would you read the I Don't Even audio? The New Testament obliterates this idea of slavery. Now, it takes time, and, and man shifts from one form of slavery to another. And that's what happened in 1865 when we moved from decentralized forms of fiefdom slavery to a big federal state that enslaves hundreds of millions of people, unlike any time in all of human history. Thanks a lot, Karl Marx. Thanks a lot, Abe Lincoln. Thanks a lot, whoever you were that centralized power in Washington, D.C. and enslaved an entire nation since 1865. Yeah, we're not big on slavery, you can tell. And one of the reasons for that is we're Christians, for those of you wondering. We're Christians here in this uh, radio studio. 
Okay, he talks about war booty, where the virgin females were counted among the booty of the war. Uh, he talks about how the, the, uh, the, the males were to be obliterated and killed. Now, the Canaanites were extraordinarily wicked. We know that, and God wanted to wipe out all remnants of them off the earth. P part of the reason is they were doing homosexuality and child sacrifice. They were big on abortion and homosexuality, so God says... You take a society like that, you wipe it off the face of the earth. Okay, that's the way he treated the Canaanites, and that's probably what's going to happen to America as well. But that's aside, beside the point. Uh, what do you do? Here's the question. When you're in war, and, and, and by the way, war is a reality. And, and sometimes, at one point in human history, it was commanded on the part of children of Israel to, to do war against Canaanites. Well, what do you do? Here's the question. What do you do when you wiped out the fighting men... And there are 50,000 single women hanging out in B.C. 1200 when all the men have been eliminated. What do you do? Here's what you do. You put them on welfare. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, no, Barack no, no, Obama no. didn't exist back then. Yeah. That was pre-FDR. <laughs> okay, well, let's think about this. What do you do with 50,000 single women who aren't voting for Barack Obama in the 2014 elections? What do you do? You consign them to never getting married and they starve to death. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a really good idea. The modern solution is you turn them all into prostitutes and put them on welfare. Okay, that's what you do with inner city women. Make them, turn them all into prostitutes and put them on LBJ's welfare program. Turns out God doesn't want to do that. Okay, okay. Now, now some, some people say, well, I think Karl Marx's and LBJ's solutions are better than God's. I'm here to tell you, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay? <laughs> Check out the Word of God. God's smart. God's wise. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Yeah. This is what Reverend... What God is he in? Yeah. This guy is a freaking idiot. And um, he had... Oh, my God. He is a homophobe. He's a sexist. He's a racist. We have some more audio from him coming up. But, yes, women need to... What was he saying here? That it's okay for women if you're a liberal woman or... What, you prostitute them out? What, what the hell was he talking about? I honestly don't know. Like, he was so all... He was all over the place. I mean, the only thing that caught my, like, that I could understand out of all that is the 2014 election that Obama won. Um, I'm... I must have missed that election. Caitlin I mean, said I was too kind. Mm -hmm. Idiot is too kind for him. Yeah, I mean, like, he... He was all over the place with his bullshit. He said I mean, it was a good it, thing. Good thing. Uh, slavery was a good thing for women. Yeah. I'm yeah, sorry. Don, I'm says sorry. He lost me when he started this. comparing with Obama. He was acting. Yeah, and Francie says he's living in a time warp. But he was talking about that um, the Canaanites in a society like that, you wipe it off the earth. They were big on abortion and stuff, so they. They, the Canaanites wiped it all off the earth. And then he says the plight of women were treated like spoils of war. And he said that was better than having them live on government welfare. So what would you do if you were back there fighting men and there was 50,000 single women? Um, 
so you're going to take them and you turn them out into prostitutes, which is kind of like what he's saying that is going to happen now after war. Mm. I mean, I'm like, uh, who is this guy? He got a, he, is he a preacher? Or oh, something? we're going to hear some more of him. Yes. Yes, actually he is. He's a Colorado pastor. His name is Kevin Swanson. And Kevin Swanson said he's afraid of gay people. He is so afraid of them and the inevitable uh, cancellation of the RuPaul's drag race in the same way that many gay people are afraid of RuPaul getting his drag race taken up. He said there's many people that are going to destroy the world watching RuPaul sashay across the stage, the same stage that this idiot shared with Jindal Huckabee and Cruz, by the way, which we'll get to. And then he went on some kind of uh, a rant about the homophobes, and he was talking about a gay wedding. And so he started ranting, and he said that he would take poop. You know, we've been talking a lot about poop tonight. He would take poop and smear it, or cow manure, excuse me, and put it all over his body. And then he would go outside the entrance of the church. And he goes, and that's what I do. And I'm not kidding. I'm not laughing. <coughs> I'm grieving. I'm mourning. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, so that's, oh, my gosh. Um, I pointed out the problem. <clears throat> it's a gay thing. There are and, and, people, and, they have sores, gaping sores. This is not a nice thing to do. Don't you dare carve happy faces on open pussy sores. Don't you ever do that. Don't you ever do that. I tell you, don't do it. Ooh, I think I'd make a good minister. <laughs> and going on and on about sores, wow. on gross and pussy, as in containing pus, and that things that people, gay people love, carving happy faces into pus then he says America needs to hear that message we are messed up yeah what's this we <laughs> yeah like who's we who's this we you speak of I wonder how big is his congregation who followed this guy I don't know what's wrong with him. He is just too much. I he's a homophobe, obviously. And um but honest to goodness, we even have another audio from him. Oh yes. But <laughs> wow, dude. <laughs> uh not not to interrupt, but the pastor. Yeah, he he is a pastor, which is sad. It make us Chris, us good Christians look real bad, man. Absolutely. Oh yeah, there was that one wasn't very good. Audio was it? Uh, the right wing watch uh, YouTube page was taken down, so we were not able to get that audio in time for the show. Oh darn! Yeah, I heard about that. You know, they was talking about that. Abe Lincoln <clears throat> was a communist, and um, that one. And he enslaved the entire nation since 1865. He was a, he was a communist-inspired tyrant? Yeah, that's Abraham what he Lincoln? said. Yeah. 
And I'm not kidding, Pastor, Pastor Cowpie. I like that, Francie. Um, yeah, he was hosting the Republican presidential candidates, Cruz, Huckabee, and Jindal at his National Religious Liberties Conference this weekend. Don't you like it how they say religious liberty like they don't have any? I mean, really? And then he said that on his Generations radio program, that abolishing slavery of the U.S. following the Civil War showed that the country moved from decentralized form of fiefdom to a big federal state that enslaves hundreds of millions of people unlike any time in human history. Thanks a lot, Karl Marx. Thanks a lot. And Abe Lincoln, thanks a lot. Whoever you were, that centralized power in D.C., you enslaved us all, the entire nation, since 1865. And then he turns in um, that you're supposed to talk. That's when he moves on into how the Old Testament says, soldiers are to kill all men but treat women, particularly virgins, as plunder. But he said it wasn't slavery. It was a good thing because women needed someone to take care of them. And then you repopulate the earth. <clears throat> Is that all they good for, huh? Wow. Uh, Wow. <laughs> if if he wanted to make a big splash, like um Kenny, we played this audio like last week or the week before on Mike Check Radio. And Kenny brought up if he wanted to make a splash like he claims he wants to do, instead of using like an herbivore manure, use an animal that eats meat. Because Lord knows, if you step in, like, dog schmutz or cat schmutz, good Lord, you're going to be gagging for, like, <laughs> half an hour after you step in it. Yeah. Well, I had to have I been remember him saying that. Yeah. Last week, yeah. Because uh, this is our first show since then. <laughs> yeah. And like, but did he I mean, have the know, audio? Uh, cow and you know herbivore poop isn't that bad honestly but you know like I said I mean anything that eats meat and you step in it oh man it's it's ick city man uh, see here we go it's just poop 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 <laughs> Tom goes poop <laughs> herbivore poop <laughs> cow poop <laughs> but can you imagine your dad sitting in front of your wedding your church smeared in poop what an idiot uh, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. that guy's a nut oh apparently his congregation is just over 300 he really wow. has a congregation Man. Oh, geez. That, I mean, that just shows it. I mean, you can sell anybody anything. Like, you know, he. How does how does he get these followers? Like, does he promise them gift cards or something for like attend every three preaching or every three services and get this fifty dollar gift certificate, but not for Starbucks. But you know what? That is so, yeah, because, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. We don't have any Santa Clauses 
the symbols of Christmas on a Starbucks cup. (laughs) 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 On the cups. You know, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Can you believe all these people going crazy over that? If you, uh, if you're familiar with like current country music or whatever, you know, there's a song put out by, uh, um, sensationalist country artist, Toby Keith called Red Solo Cup. And I should have known it was about Christian persecution. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah. He's the one who made all them patriotic songs after 9-11, made all that money off of it. Yeah. Um... Yeah, See, I'm from does... Nashville, the home of country music, and I hate country music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it either, truthfully. I mean, it's, it's now just It's only two guys just... I respected, though, in the country music industry. That was, that was uh, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson, because Willie Nelson's a stoner, and I like him. You know, all stoners are cool anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway yeah. you know. Shut the station down. Cash Here comes the narcs. <laughs> Yeah, and Johnny Cash, he was just straight cool, though. You know, he was, you know, I love his swag. He yeah, was cool. I mean, and like, you know, when Johnny Cash was around and, you know, like Waylon Jennings, you know, your outlaw country, it was real country music, like music for the working man. And now it's just, you know, marginalized pop bullshit posted over the same beat. Like a friend of mine said, man, country music ain't country music anymore. Only thing you see is supermodels and pretty boys with cowboy hats now. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, and I know we're totally off the rails here. And bad right. tattoos. All right. Yeah, but you know, shoot, man, this is crazy. Man. <laughs> like a while ago. Because um, I got another Florida story coming, so we need to be off the rail a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a while ago, over the summer, there was a country singer named Brantley Gilbert that got these two really gaudy pistols on his back. And in giant letters, it, like, has the whole Second Amendment, like, across his back and across the small of his back. (sighs) (laughs) Oy vey. And I'm a tattoo guy, and it looks terrible. Wow. (laughs) Tom goes, now off the rails? (laughs) <laughs> Does snork, want okay. to talk about I'm, I swear I will not bring up shit again but Snork <laughs> says there are shit cannons in Story County, Iowa I have no idea why the last that I heard they still haven't been shut down they automatically fling shit up to a mile one time They accident- at one time they accidentally targeted I-35 <laughs> <laughs> okay alright um <clears throat> Let's go back to, I'll I'll get through this, Florida. Everybody ready for another Florida story? (laughs) Hashtag Florida, man. Yeah, oh, this one is really good. This was reported by the Sarasota Herald Tribune, which is why we don't have an audio. Florida County is considering changing its charter review board after two elected members have focused on punishing political enemies through extra legal tactics instead of government branches. Yes, two members, Pat Wayman and Stephen Fields, have been using their position to upsurge authority from other elected officials. They have tried to vote to try to establish a people's common law grand jury 
where sovereign citizens and other anti-government extremists have proposed to investigate, prosecute government officials for treason, which, as they point out, carries a potential death penalty. Then Mike Bolin, who's attended the review board, says, uh, take a look at the French Revolution and what took place there. He attended one of the meetings to support the common law grand jury. The board voted 4-4 to and made a study the proposal by Rogel Dowdell, a Tea Party activist who denies being a sovereign citizen but spouts sovereign citizen rhetoric. Grand jury powers come from God, Dowdell said, advocating the return of post-revolution legal system where no, there's no police department or judge's robes, and they went across the, the judge's road horseback to hear cases brought by groups of 25 people. Those rulings would be kept out of reach of the president and the Supreme Court. <clears throat> so guess who they want to go after and execute first? Take a guess. The scary black man in the White House. Yes, give this man a tootsie roll. You got it. <clears throat> <laughs> Barack Obama for treason. Of course, they can't tell you why. But um, he is, the Dowell is the state coordinator of the right-wing National Liberty Alliance. And <clears throat> claims that they there was already one operating in Manatee County, Florida. He can't even talk about it because it's in secret, you know. In order to keep innocents who may be investigated from being damaged, Wayman, the charter board member, posted a petition on her Facebook page calling for Obama's arrest on murder and treason, and she's posted videos questioning mass shootings were staged at Sandy Hook. She doesn't believe Sandy Hook and the Oregon shootings are real. (laughs) Well, if that's the case, they need to charge George W. Bush and Dick Cheney for war crimes. Yeah. He said... uh, there's another board member, Fields. He has more conservative views. He says he loves guns and law enforcement, the military, Glenn Beck, and um, Breitbart, and Ronald Reagan. And he also voted for Dow. If someone brings an idea that we can do, that's something we should look at, Fields said. And um, he says there's just nothing but, you know, uh, people that are being bribed and of course, they're not making the right decisions because they're not following the Constitution. And so Donna, <clears throat> thank goodness, a Republican chairwoman of the board said, I don't think a board knew anything about this concept. It was a group of individuals who presented a concept to the board. That's what the Charter Review Board does, not leaning one way or the other. Frequently, the board will look at something and determine if it's appropriate or in the best interest of the county. For the most part, and I include myself in this, we're completely ignorant about these concepts. She said the board would recommend a validative initiative that would put Sarasota County in line with other Florida counties and appoint charter board members. But about 200 miles, there are people threatening physical harm to elected officials where a Tea Party activist was arrested after trying to turn a legitimate jury into a common law grand jury. So the clerk of that court has been getting harassed and threatening facts. 
they say this one is going, they're going to go after her first because she didn't um, allow him to take over that jury and turn it into that common lodge jury. So the local sheriff has alerted the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the FBI. Anytime they come up on our public agenda, we have security with us at all times. <clears throat> Terry Trussell, who helped organize the failed Operation American Spring Rally to drive Obama from office. And I can't remember. I know Kenny and you guys talked about that, but there was hardly anybody there at that Operation American Springs. <clears throat> 14 counts of impersonating law officers and court officials. And he said that once Trussell got selected to serve on a legitimate grand jury, it became the perfect storm. From that point on, he's taken it on his own authority to try to create a sovereign citizen board of common law grand jurors. I am constantly scared. The Dixie County Sheriff said he's known Trussell all his life and is acquainted with Dallas said the anti-government activists have asked him to help with their indictments. I said any order has to be signed by a judge, whether it's a warrant or whatever. It's got to be a legal document. They've indicted everybody from the governor, the county general, Pam Bondi, on down to the president of our school board. And they said the school board attorney should be fired. The sheriff said he has not arrested anyone, nor is he planning on it. I mean, that kind of leaves you speechless, doesn't it? Yep. For change, yeah. can you believe that? I'm almost speechless. In uh, in Montana, we have a whole bunch of these nutters. And I posted in chat a YouTube video of one of the most famous ones. And it's, it, I mean, you know, I, I kind of see, you know, the whole living off the grid but then, you know, they go off and they're like, well, you know, we're under an imperial system, you know, and it's just, it's just a train wreck. I just, I'm just so discombobulated by these people. I can't, I can't even believe there's real people out there doing this, you know, <clears throat> it doesn't even make any sense. Excuse me. But. We are getting close to the break time here. So, does anybody have anything to say about these guys? I mean, I, it scares me because it makes they, me think of... Those guys, um, are, I, I see that these guys are dangerous. And yeah. they wind up killing someone, you know, for their cause. Killing some innocent person, you know, some, some, you know, some random uh, lawmaker or something like that, you know. And that's scary. So, and how do we even get, um, <clears throat> how do they even stop it now? Because it's spreading so far. I kind of, to me, that Clive and Bundy thing kind of was a turning point for this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like they got by with it, so now everybody's figuring they're going to get by with it. And they kind of are, because we, I don't know that we even have the manpower to go after these people. Unless you take. You got a whole darn army. <laughs> yeah. Know? If you know if the president uses power, you know, or any governor uses power for, for the national guard or anything, you know, but they, uh, I don't know if they'll try to go to. I know they're stocking up with guns, and you know, a whole lot of them crazies got bunkers and stuff with food and everything, thinking some zombie apocalypse gonna come on and all this type of crap, and you know, I don't know. These people are nuts to me, you know. 
Yeah, I really. If you know, if you don't like what's going on in this country, it's a simple thing. Just leave. Yeah, I mean, and I agree with with Caitlin too. Cliven Bundy and his compatriot freaks—they just freak me out too. You know, and like Joe says, they have the reality needs to start biting them in the ass. Fox News and friends have wrecked this havoc, and that's true. Yeah, you can thank Fox News and right wing radio for all this mess. And on top of that, we got a darn black president elected twice. It drove people nuts. Yeah, and it does. And he also keeps getting elected and voted the most popular man, you know, man of the year. And then other countries say he is like the number one, you know, that he's an amazing president. Mm-hmm. So, Jonathan, are we ready for a break? Yes, ma'am, I believe we are. So we will go ahead and head to our last break for the evening with a little bit of macaroni. I'm just a hater. We'll be right back here with you on Southern Progressive Revival. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We're the people you see every day in the grocery stores. We obey the laws. We pay our taxes. We fly our flags on holidays. And we plot along trying to make it better for ourselves and our children. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. Separate haters because you don't need them I'll 
never join them, I only beat them. If I don't get mines, you don't get yours. I'm just a hater, I'm just a hater. You said you did what? Well, I did that before. I'm just a hater, I'm just a hater. You got something new? Well, I got that too. I'm just a hater, I'm just a hater. Whatever you say, I already do. Cause I'm just a hater, I'm just a hater. Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, Indie Media Weekly presents the Sci-Fi Double Feature with two old-time radio shows from the science fiction and horror genre. The Sci-Fi Double Feature every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. You're listening to Southern Progressive Revival. We have been the instrument of change in the past. We know what needs to be done. We know how to do it. We know that we can impact policies which affect education, human rights, civil rights, economic and social opportunity. Southern Progressive Revival at Indie Media Weekly Radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the final half hour of this episode 11 of Southern Progressive Revival, and I turn it back over to our phenomenal guest host, Janet Lee. Well, thank you, Jonathan, and welcome back, John, from Missoula, Montana, who came in on a pinch and is sitting with us all three hours. Hey, John. Hey, it's been a great three hours, too. It's been fun. I'm really enjoying this. And... Co-host Joey Ward from Nashville, Tennessee. Hey, hello everyone. Yeah, Enjoy your, your company, John. You're doing great, brother. Yeah. Uh, you could you could say I have a little practice with the whole radio show thing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> Just a bit. Well, we are gonna talk about Georgia. Georgia. Um, we do have an audio. The audio is out of Arizona, but it segues into what we're going to talk about with Georgia. And this is the RIFRA laws. Do you want to Arizona play that is hosting next year's Super Bowl? Well, maybe. The NFL is threatening to move the game if the state adopts legislation that's already passed. The bill awaits the governor's signature. The controversial legislation would allow any business the right to discriminate against anyone they choose. The business would have the right, with no threat of a lawsuit, to tell anyone they're not welcome for just about any reason. The key is hiding the discrimination around religion. Simply state that your religious beliefs prohibit you from serving a particular individual, and you're set. How convenient. And that's why the NFL is choosing to possibly host their big game elsewhere. They've done it before, and they've done it before to Arizona. 
Back in the early 90s, Arizona was set to host the Super Bowl, but voters didn't back the nationally mandated Dr. Martin Luther King holiday. So the NFL moved the game to California. The NFL has that right as a private company. Arizona, on the other hand, has a history of fighting the Constitution and losing. Governor Jan Brewer probably won't sign this legislation, and that's a good thing. Because discriminating against anyone and hiding it behind religion is a very slippery slope. I'm Corey Johnson. Okay, we thought this might be finished because what happened in Arizona, as we all know, is that companies came out and told Bone Finger to put it away and that there was going to be a cost. And that cost was going to be money, which we're starting to find out or have found out, makes the world go round, right? Well, apparently Georgia didn't get the memo. They have their Restoration Act, their RIFRA, and it is the worst in the nation. But is there any pro-gay companies doing anything about it, guys? Anybody want to take a guess? No? Uh, no. <laughs> You'd be right. You'd be right. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nobody said a word. Nope, nope, nope. Georgia <laughs> is poised to pass the nation's harshest religious freedom law, allowing discrimination, judicial obstruction, and even domestic violence. Yet while the bill is far worse than Arizona's notorious turn the gays away bill, it's attracted far less attention from national advocacy groups and businesses. This bill, RIPRA for short, is winding its way through the state legislatures across the country. In other words, RIPRA is coming to a state near you. The bills are part of the backlash against same-sex marriage, but they go further than that. Like Hobby Lobby's decision, which allows closely held corporations to opt out a part of men Obamacare, these laws carve out exemptions to all kinds of laws if a person or corporation offers a religious reason for not obeying them. For example, restaurants could have refused to serve gay or in interracial couples. City clerks could refuse to marry interfaith couples. Hotels could keep out Jews. Housing developments could keep out black people. Pharmacies could refuse to dispense birth control. Banquet halls could turn away gay weddings. Schools could specifically allow anti-gay bullying, and employees could fire anyone for any religious reason. Now, the national movement to pass these laws is well-funded, well-coordinated, and most of them written by a handful of conservative legal hacks in Washington, working for Ralph Reed's Faith and Freedom Coalition, both have and the Alliance Defending Freedom, which have a hand in this bill. The Jeff Graham, executive director of Georgia Equality, says in an interview with the Daily Beast, in the last two years, there's been 35 bills introduced around the country to establish RIFRA, and there have been over 80 bills filed specifically to allow discrimination against gay and trans community. But Georgia's is even worse than that. Jeez. The language is as strict as possible. Georgia's Act says a government cannot substantially burden a person's exercise of religion without a compelling government interest, 
and the least restriction means of furthering that <clears throat> interest. So this is a classic three-pronged test that's an issue with Hobby Lobby. Georgia specifies exercise of religion could be about any practice or observance of a religion, whether or not compelled by or central to a system of religious beliefs. In other words, if I say it's my religion, it is. The Senate version of the bill was passed by its sponsor, State Senator Josh McCoon, with all kinds of shenanigans. He rammed it through while the opposition members, here we go, were in the bathroom. We just can't get away from bathroom humor tonight. Um, ironically, then on procedural grounds, refused an amendment by fellow Republicans that would specify the religious freedom could not be used to discriminate against others. Georgia doesn't have any protections for LGBT people in place. This is a preemptive strike against the LGBT community, he said. If this bill is not intended to allow discrimination, why are the sponsors so adamant about refusing it? And then they go into the House. The Republicans have a two-to-one advantage over the Democrats. So this has led to a curious result, a law so strict that it led to a host of unintended consequences and even has some Republicans ready to oppose it. Aha, can you, I mean, what do you guys think? Mm. This is just getting to be. You see what I, you see what I be, I be talking about, you know, uh, uh, they try to intertwine uh, religion and, and, and government together. You know, that's oh, I mean, tyranny. And they're they going to have the nerve to call Barack Obama tyrant? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, all them harsh names they be giving him? Yeah, and not only that, some um, commentators said the law would give a pass to spousal and child abusers as long as the husband or father has a religious pretext which is easy to provide. The Christian Domestic Discipline Networks offers a host of rationales for wife spanking. And let's not forget Proverbs 13.24. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Georgia has numerous laws protecting child welfare, which is arguably a compelling state interest. But are such laws really the least restrictive means of protecting it? Not necessarily. At the very least, the laws offer a novel defense against assault and battery. Or, maybe not so novel. We have found cases where people use their religious views as an excuse to impede an investigation into child endangerment and child abuse charges. They were not ultimately successful, but they did slow down the investigation. With the new law, they'd be far better armed. In fact, says Graham, conservative district attorney in Macon and Marietta has said the bill would impede investigations of prosecutions of child abuse. See, and it's, yeah. The funny thing is, is like, these are the same people that are like, oh, you know, like, Muslims want to make Sharia law. Well, by intertwining your religious ideology and the laws, do you know what you guys sound like? I mean, you know, not to cast, not to cast stones in my glass house, but they kind of sound like ISIS. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and absolutely the taliban any other any other extreme you know muslim group that's what they sound like and they sit up there and they're like well you know like isis is the greatest threat well you know it's it's basically the old adage of you have to look inside to see if what you're speaking is right and i mean you know sure isis is a problem but you know they have to realize that they're just like isis yeah and the thing is they're a small part of the country i mean they're not the majority but they have been able to garner all of this you know because of uh the Koch brothers and them drilling down into um school board people they've been able to put their little people in there a theocracy that, yes that, that is why we need to really focus on our local elections and vote in them local elections man because absolutely they be they, they get away with a lot of shit in these during uh, uh, uh local local elections passing laws Three or four o'clock in the morning and shit. You wake up the next day. I didn't know that law was passed. Yeah, because nobody knew. And, you know, yeah. they, that's why they keep moving the voting places. But this law <clears throat> has an unlikely opponent, Bowers, Mike Bowers, the former attorney general of Bowers versus Hardwick fame. He is the one that the Supreme Court case that upheld Georgia's anti-sodomy law. And Bowers was the name plaintiff. So he's going after this law as saying, no, 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 this is too much. <clears throat> In an open letter to Graham, Bowers said the law is unequivocally an excuse to discriminate, permitting citizens to opt out of laws because of a so-called burden on an exercise of religion, in effect would permit every citizen to become a law unto themselves. Here we go again. This is one of the reasons why conservatives like Bowers and the DAs in Macon and Marietta stand opposed to it. As Bowers wrote, the legitimate, the legislation is not about gay marriage or contraception or even so-called religious freedom. It's because ultimately it involves the rule of law. What is his future? We're not going to know until the session ends on April 2nd. He predicts a tight vote. This will probably go all the way to the final hours of the session. Oddly, the most effective forces in killing it would be corporations in the Chamber of Commerce that seem to be sitting a battle out. Now, maybe it's because Arizona was winning a Super Bowl and Georgia isn't, or because no one's paying attention. But the corporate silence is deafening. And I think people need to get a hold of the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia, get a hold of the Georgia legislature, <clears throat> because this is going to be voted on by April 2nd, and it's going to be a tight vote. And this stuff's got to be stopped mm-hmm. all over. It's, you know, it gives Christians a bad name. It gives Americans a bad name. It gives us all a bad name. It, it, it's making, this is just insanity. Right? These people are unbelievable, man. These people are unbelievable. They yeah. determined to turn this country into a, a, a police state. They determined to do it. You know, the Nazis did the same shit. They did the yeah. same shit, man. And it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And and they do it behind 
closed doors, like waiting until everybody went to the bathroom to ram the boat through and um, not letting people know that it was even coming up that night, you know, and I don't know how they can do that legally, but I guess they can. I guess you can do whatever you want to do when you're in the majority. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. John, did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, I mean, you know, it's just, they just, I don't know, it's just, it's mind-numbing to me that um, they condemn what they are. You know, they, it's, uh, well, and it's like got Nova's, me so. Yeah, I mean, like Nova said, it's true, too. I didn't even think of it that way. She says it's like they're trying to codify what already exists, or existed anyway, behind closed doors. Now they're just bringing it out in the open. Yeah, and I mean, you know, <laughs> one, of my, uh, one of my favorite humorous quotes is, religion is like a penis. It's okay to have one. It's not okay to wave it in everybody's face. And this, is what <laughs> this is what they're doing. They're just standing there and they're like, oh, hey, look at my religion. It is so much better than yours. We do this thing. And it's just like, oh, come on, guys. You make it too easy. <laughs> Poor Jonathan's probably sitting playing. They're going, oh, my God, I turn him loose. And this is what we do all night. Bathroom humor. <laughs> I am enjoying it myself. <laughs> and unlike Turn Up the Night, we can say penis in this house, I think. Yes. I think yes. we can, yes. I think we can. I think we just did. <laughs> We've been talking poop. We might as well talk penis. Let's get both ends. <laughs> Got to get all the letter P in yeah. tonight, huh? <laughs> This is a, now brought to you by the Proctology Association of America. Thank you. Yes, I was trying to come up with something. Okay, we got one more story. I think we have time. <laughs> this point, this has already got off the wall anyway. This one we don't have an audio of, so um, it's out of Austin, Texas, and this is kind of near and dear to my heart because they're talking about homeschooling. And as an educator for many, many years, I have been very anti-homeschooling and very anti-private school because every time we get a student in, and I only talk about my school that I taught at because that's the only um, reference I have. But normally we get homeschoolers in and they'd be two and three years behind or um, the private schools that taught the, the Christian schools, so-called Christian schools. And we had one student that the only thing she could come up with that they learned was uh, um, that she showed us a test, or science test, and it asked what day God created something. I don't remember what it was. The answer was the fourth day. Now, that's not what we call science in a public school. But... <clears throat> They put her in two years behind, and the parent was just furious. But she struggled, struggled, even though we put her back two years behind her age, because that's what she tested in at. So then the parent wanted her put in special ed, and I was like, no. 
I can't prove that she's had any education. So that doesn't make it a disability. Anyway, um, Laura McIntyre began educating her nine children more than a decade ago in a vacant lot in El Paso at a motorcycle dealership she ran with her husband and other relatives. Now they're in a legal battle in the Texas Supreme Court, which is going to hear the case in the next couple of weeks, but it could have broad implication on the nation's booming homeschool ranks. They were accused of failing to teach their children educational basics because they were waiting to be transported to heaven with the second coming of Christ. Where do religious liberty and parental rights to educate one's own children stop and obligations to ensure homeschooled students ever actually learn something? I think, you know, parents should be allowed to decide how to educate their children, not whether they, whether or not they can educate. In other words, you should be able to decide how you're going to do it, but not whether you're going to do it, is what this woman is saying. Um, but the thing is, when somebody comes in with a science test that says, what did God do on the fourth day or something like that? I just remember it was the fourth day. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what the answer is or whatever, but... That is not science, you know. I wonder uh, how these these children going involved in the society, and you know, going through something like this. You know, if they if they uh, parents homeschool them all their lives, they go out in society and and like you know, run across a whole lot of different things and don't know nothing. Well, and like Texas homeschooling, most states do not require parents to register with the state or local educational officials if they're homeschooling their kids. Now, in our small school district, we went out and tried to find them. But we couldn't push them or force them to take our standardized testing. We tried to talk them into it, but you can't force it. Because if you do that, if you test them, then you have proof those kids are not learning, or they're at least not up to where they should be. Mm-hmm. So the problem started when the Trim brother said that these kids were not reading, working on math, using computers, or doing anything because one of them kids said they didn't have to. They're going to get raptured. Then the 17-year-old ran away from home saying she wanted to go back to school. She's 17. She should have been a senior, but she tested out at ninth grade, and they didn't really even think she could do the ninth grade work, which is what has been going on with me, you know, which what I've seen. The district eventually asked them to provide proof that their kids are being educated and even filed truancy charges that were dropped. The family sued and had an appeals court rule against them, but now the case goes to the all-Republican state Supreme Court. The McIntyre said the district is biased against Christians, of course, and accused its officials of mounting a startling assertion of sweeping governmental power, which goes along to what we were talking about the other, the previous story. You know, it's religious. <clears throat> we do it. She said that they use a Christian curriculum, um, but but again, they couldn't prove that. They couldn't show anything, and the number of homeschool kids have jumped to about a um, 1.7 million to 3% of all students. 
So no one knows for sure in Texas is one of those 11 states that don't require homeschool kids to register. And there's 14 states that have no subject requirements for what's taught. No one knows for sure since Texas, okay. Texas mandates a written curriculum providing a bona fide educational education designed to meet the basic educational goals of reading, spelling, grammar, math, and citizenship, but it doesn't require homeschool students to take those standardized tests or show progress. And 24 states have ruled that homeschool kids undergo some form of assessment, usually standardized testing or portfolio work, which is what we got a lot. But only nine mandate that home school families turn in test scores or other assessments to state authorities. So part of it is on the political right. They'll remove oversight to score points with their base and and there's not strong enough opposition to that, especially in Indiana, in the states where the legislatures are more conservative. The lawmakers in Arkansas repealed a law mandating that homeschooled students take nationally recognized tests. Utah removed academic requirements from its homeschool students. Pennsylvania, Iowa, New Hampshire, Minnesota have moved to relax homeschool standards. And a Texas school uh, association analysis calls the state country the most homeschool friendly. But depending on this case, that could all change. No parents have ever prevailed in any reported case on a theory that they've been absolute constitutional right to educate their children in the home. And I want to tell you one more thing about this homeschooling crap. If the kids are getting abused, that's one way that the schools don't know about it, and that's one way they don't get reported to the state. If they're getting abused either physically, sexually, mentally, whatever. Because they're not in school. You know, they're kind of like sitting in a closet or up and out, uh, looking out a window. People know they're there, mm-hmm. but they can't do anything to help them. Yeah, I mean, back, um, excuse me, um, back to Joey's point about the um, social skills. I have a an acquaintance. Um, we were friends once, and... You know, I distanced myself from that person. Um, she ha- is homeschooling her oldest, her oldest, and she's like in kindergarten. And I straight up called her out. I was like, "Dude, you know, have you read the statistics on how this affects um, children?" And she's like. She literally replied, no, I haven't, but she will still have playdates that I'll make for her. And I just, I facepalmed because she's not having that, um, that social aspect of her life other than her mother stepping into making playdates. Right. And yeah, that's another I, concern too. And you know, like I've I um one of my friends her ex was um homeschooled and he was weird as 
He was weird as heck, man. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I'm you know, I'm a weird man myself. I you know, like weird people weird people are my jam, but like he he was like too socially awkward for me to even be like, okay, yeah, you still have some sort of cool, but yeah, no. Yeah. So I mean it it's still like, you know, growing up, you know, the thing is in public schools like, oh well, bullying, bullying. Yeah, that happens, but you know, it's just I mean it's just weird to me that they use something so emotional to be like, Well, you know, I'm just gonna homeschool my kids anyway. Well, we're going to have to wrap up um, tonight, and I just looked up. I have 8.59. Um, next week, we have Dusty Dion on, coming on, and he is a um, pagan. He's going to discuss paganism, which we're, we're going all over the board with this um, religious stuff. I said our last hour or half hour is going to have to start being called church night like Mike <laughs> but I like different things you know I I think it's interesting and people like it so um and next week for damn Yankee is Dana Crow so anyway I think that we're getting toward the end what do you think Jonathan uh, yes, indeed. So if you want to go ahead and start doing the round so that everybody can say their goodbye y'alls, that would be wonderful. All right. How about you, John? <clears throat> um, it was a great three hours tonight. Um, if you guys need somebody in the future, I'm always there, except for the next two weeks, because that is John time. All right. Um, you can usually catch me on Mike Jack Radio Saturdays, seven to ten Eastern, um, and that's it. Have All a right. good night. Have a good week, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for wa- stepping up and helping us. And uh, Joey Nashville. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank you, John, for coming on the show. You know, and you did a great job, and you always do a great job. <laughs> and uh, like, thank you, Janet, and you, Jonathan, and. And I hope everybody who's listening and in the chat room enjoyed my Voices of Black Past, Present, and Future segment. And I got more to come from that. And i like to say good night, y'all. <laughs> I loved that exact segment. It was awesome. And I want to thank Thanks, everybody man. in chat <clears throat> and our listeners and Night Sister Joe, Night Chatters, and... I'm going to turn it back to Jonathan for a night. Well, if I can uh, unmute, that would be great. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for turning into this episode of Southern Progressive Revival. Uh, next week, we will be back to our standard mode operandi, so please look forward to that. Uh, Janet already mentioned our guests, so that saves me from having to do that myself. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. I hope that you all give Janet a huge round of applause for doing a fabulous job guest hosting yet again for the third time. Uh, I think that by now she could run her own show. So uh, thank you for listening. Please tune in next week from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. We always are live here on Indie Media Weekly. 
uh, on Sunday nights for your listening pleasure. So until next time, have a great time, y'all. Night, everybody. I've got to let you go. Thank you so much. I okay, appreciate it. That's good. Wonderful yeah, to see you. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh, right. Yeah, great. You come back and see me, you hear? Good night, Mama. Good night, Ben. Good night, everyone. Good night, Mama. Good night, Daddy. Good night, children. Good night, Dad. Good night, Elizabeth. Good night, Cowboy. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. Good night, Jim Bob. <laughs>